Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Three hours ago that there would probably be tremendous news changes taking place in a situation that has not evolved at all towards clarifying any information, but rather has just continued to suppress information. Now, what am I talking about here with the Steve Miller band right out of Motown, Detroit, singing Abracadabra? Well, it's abracadabra because when we left the airways doing a full two hours from three to five on the only subject matter that we are engaging because everyone else considers it the third rail. They're avoiding it. They don't want to really talk about it, and they don't want to give you an opportunity to express yourself, which is completely alien to what talk radio should be. This is the platform for free speech. And maybe so many people have flocked to WABC while I've been broadcasting all weekend long. As you know, weekends, uh, WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. So from um, Saturday morning, 12 uh, midnight to 6 until the break of dawn. Then so nice, the suits had me do it twice. Sunday mornings from 12 midnight to 6. We've been at it 12 straight hours of getting into this mishigash, this uh, craziness of what transpired in the Pelosi mansion in Pacific Heights in San Francisco. And boy, I got to tell you, there has been an effort to suppress whatever it is that's on your minds, both here by some of the hosts. Some of the other hosts have had to back off because it's too hot to handle. But you see, Matt Blaze. My 35 years in talk radio, I'm always dancing on the third rail without a covering. Always dancing on the third rail. Unfortunately, I don't have my normal crew with me because I can really, really go deep inside the belly of the beast of this Pelosi story. So I may have to be on the periphery because this may be too hot for them to handle. You know, they're used to working with Frank Morano, who will be here momentarily, 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays, the worst side of the other side of midnight, which is just like Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing, right? I mean, Frank has even said that. But this, this is going to be another two hours. And hold on for the rope-a-dope, tricknology ride of your life. All of a sudden, what's happening now? 
And by the way, what does abracadabra mean? What is the basis of abracadabra? What is its origin? If any of you happen to know, you're going to immediately win a Curtis Lee will booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. We throw nickels around like manhole covers, but unlike Frank Morano, we deliver because we don't have alligator arms. And due to the generosity of our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, you'll end up styling and profiling a beautiful WABC hat that has on the patch the better side, the other side of Midnight, the Curtis Lee will show. If you can explain where did this phrase abracadabra come from, we've seen uh, people like Harry Houdini and other illusionists, uh, especially now around Halloween, if you ever been up to Highland Park and visited the Harry Houdini uh, gravesite, they're not letting anybody up there behind Franklin K. Lane. The acronym stands for <laughs> Franklin K. Lane, <laughs> which is, oh, boy, fun kicks uh, and no education, Franklin K. Lane. But anyway, there's the... Um, uh, burial ground of Harry Houdini uh, in the Jewish cemetery that's right behind Franklin K. Lane in East New York on City Line Avenue. One side is Queens, the other side is Brooklyn. And they're not permitting anybody near the gravesite, which is not the norm. I don't know what intel suggests about Harry Houdini's grave. What are they going to do? Try to uh, exhume the body? But anyway, I digress. So what is the origin of abracadabra? Uh, and what are its roots? What does it mean? And for that, you'll win a booby prize. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what I mean is that when we left the airwaves between 3 and 5, we uh, understood that there were three people in that Pelosi house when the cops were summoned. And that the third person opened the door. Right? I mean, isn't that what we heard earlier in the day from uh, Chuck Todd, who uh, actually went to his reporter on Meet the Press, who explained this development. So this morning, it was kind of understood that the San Francisco Police Department had acknowledged that there were three, count them, three, not two, in the Pelosi house when the cops were summoned. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, DePepe and Pelosi. And then DePepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head. Now, now remember, this is, um, this is according to the police commissioner himself who gave the press conference. The only press conference we've had, which was on Friday. Police commissioner Bill Scott said there were three people in the house. Not a reporter, not a stranger, not a third party. The police commissioner himself at his press conference said there were three people in that building Although they only had a press conference for two and a half minutes, they didn't answer any questions. They bogarted out the door, and they haven't been seen since. I want you, uh, Matt Blaze, to replay that, because NBC had fully vetted this out and had gone back to the San Francisco Police Department and say, hey, look, 
we're gonna we're gonna run with the fact that there were three people in that building when the cops were summoned. And when they got in, there was Mr. Pelosi, 82, there was the Pepe, the Fruit Loop Trooper, and there was a third person who, at this point, is anonymous. This, according to Chuck Todd earlier today, on Meet the Press, we need to play it again. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house. You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, De Pepe and Pelosi. And then De Pepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head. Now, even Ken, our telephone talent coordinator with the McWhitey Whiteys, the crew, the Frank Morano crew, even he, who's got a muscle between both ears, right? He's a real stunad. Even he understands that the police commissioner said on Friday there were three people in that house. Well, guess what? There were three on Friday. There were three on Saturday. There was three Sunday morning after Chuck Todd double-checked with the San Francisco Police Department before they announced there was a third person in the house on Meet the Press. And abracadabra, and then there were two. That's right. <laughs> and, and you wonder why I'm covering this 24 hours a day? San Francisco police offered clarifying information after statements made on Friday stirred speculation that there was an unknown third person in the house when House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, was attacked. The department told NBC News after Chuck Todd aired on Meet the Press that there were three. That, in fact, there were only two people in the home at the time of the break-in. Paul Pelosi and the suspect, the 42-year-old Dave DePepe. Now, if you expect me to believe this bullfeathers, right... The guy, right? We're not talking um, somebody with a blog. We're talking Chuck Todd. Or meet the press. They go, you know, we're going to run with three. Absolutely. There were three people there. Then all of a sudden, maybe the call comes in from Nancy Pelosi. Like, you can't say there's three people there. Come on. Come on, Commish. You owe me. You wouldn't be police commissioner now in San Francisco if I didn't elevate you, which he actually did. She made the recommendation that he be the police commissioner. Bill Scott. So all of a sudden, Bill Scott, no, 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 you must have misunderstood. No, we understood. We heard what you and your minions said. In fact, let's go, Matt Blaze, just to make sure that we're not embellishing this, to the shortest police uh, press conference in the history of police press conferences anywhere in the world. This was on Friday, 1230 our time, 930 in the morning. San Francisco, West Coast time. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chief Bill Scott with the San Francisco Police Department. At approximately 2.27 this morning, San Francisco police officers were dispatched to the residence of Speaker Nancy Pelosi regarding an A-priority well-being check. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. 
The suspect pulled the hammer away from Ms. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. The suspect has been identified as 42-year-old David DePepe. Other than that, we didn't find out anything about David DePepe other than from other sources. The police have been completely tight-lipped. But where there was three, there's now two. Abracadabra. What is the police commissioner going to do? How's he going to scrub the 911 call that came in that the dispatcher explained what had transpired for the San Francisco Police Department? RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. Now, how do they scrub that? So, apparently, and we don't know if this is, in fact, what Mr. Pelosi said, the 82-year-old Okaja, or that third person. Could it be that the third person made the call? Because the cops were coming there for a wellness check, not a 911 run, a wellness check, which is generally what the EMTs do, not the police. Very suspect here. Can, can, can I hear that 911 uh, San Francisco police dispatcher again explain the nature of the call and probably what Mr. Uh, Pelosi said to him? RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. That he is David and he is a friend. That's kind of very clear that he knows this guy. Well, now they're saying... Abracadabra. The police department is now saying that that Mr. Pelosi never saw this guy before in his life. Now, they didn't say this at a press conference. They didn't try to correct this in front of a pool of journalists from all over the world. They just issued a statement that said, no, no. uh, where, Where did you get that from? Where did we get that from? Schmuck putts, listen to your own 911 phone dispatcher that you have on board with the San Francisco Police Department. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. Where did we get that from? Your dispatcher. Now, no, it wasn't from us. Man, wow, this is deep. Even Ken. The Stunad, the telephone talent coordinator, you know, the runway model here. Even he with a muscle between both ears. Even he, he's chuckling and laughing like, what do you think we're a schmuck? about? They think we're stupid, ladies and gentlemen. They're banking on the fact that we're stupid. Notice, you tell me in your lifetime, when have you ever seen a press conference lasts only two minutes, right? It usually lasts two hours, and it goes on and on. They have to recognize. And we have here from the Division of Sanitation, you know, they did a great job cleaning up the glass that was on the outside of the house. No, I, I, the inside of the house. They'll probably amend that, too. We saw from the photographs there was glass from a glass door that had been broken that fell to the outside of the patio, which would suggest someone inside broke the glass and it falls outside they're now trying to say no 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 no. the glass was broken from the outside 
Hmm. That would generally fall on the inside of the building. You know, they really, really think we're stupid, or are they that stupid that they give a press conference from two, for two and a half minutes and then they completely do revisionism? It's been 72 hours. We haven't had another press conference to sort of uh, nourish what little they gave us. Where the hell is Nancy Pelosi? You would think by now we would have a photograph of her, video, going in and out of the hospital, leaving uh, leaving the Capitol building when she was informed of this, getting on either a private jet or a government jet, flying to San Francisco International, Ex- uh, International Airport or Oakland Airport, and then being whisked away to go see her husband, who is recovering from surgery for a skull fracture and probably a broken arm. We haven't seen any of that. All we've seen is the son come out of Zuckerberg Hospital and announce that his father was doing much better and the prognosis was good. And then, naturally, the reporters and the paparazzi started asking questions, and he said, no mas, no mas. And they want us to believe this. They want us to just basically, okay, yep. <laughs> Whatever you say, we're just sheep. You're the sheep herders. We're sheep. We're not, we're not going to ask any questions. We're not entitled to free speech. It's none of our business. We just have to swallow what they give us. And then to find out our president, who himself, Joe Biden, has dementia, who decided to go off. On uh, Saturday, once again in Philadelphia, notice he uses Philadelphia to go off on Republicans. Never about the crime that's being committed in Philadelphia. Never about the DA there who has uh, turned him loose DA. What about the Republicans? When we return, we'll be listening to Joe Biden go crazy with absolutely no facts whatsoever. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We will walk the third rail here. No, we will not surrender. We will not retreat on this. Look, there are some talk show hosts and hostesses here. They won't even talk about it. Too hot to handle. There was Greg Kelly. He did a magnificent job uh, on Friday with limited information, but he uh, said all the right things, both here at WABC and then later on at night on Newsmax. He really laid out the case of why this doesn't make any sense. But then all of a sudden he got Twitter happy. Maybe Elon Musk had given Greg Kelly a call. Say, hey, go for it. And he got too happy on Twitter. And now they've taken all the postings down because he weighed in with some, well, let's just say a little bit out there, Greg. So for your good and the sake of your future career, uh, a decision was made. Take it all down. We aren't taking anything down. We're walking that tightrope. We're walking the third rail. This is high noon for us. I've been through this 35 years in talk radio. Sometimes I lose. Sometimes I win. But you know something? This is a show about we let you be heard. No experts because they're going to give us technology and the rope of This is all about you. You have a right to be heard. And especially about this Fruit Loop Trooper, De Pepe, who they already have a member of 
QAnon. They got a MAGA hat on him, and they've already probably, through facial recognition technology, put him at a recent Trump rally. It's none of that. No, no, no. We're going to break it down for you here. No, this is the story of the moment. I am not going to let it loose. I don't know if Dominic Carter is going to follow from 12 to 1. We'll see. I get to test the waters with him. But what about the week one, Frank Morano? Do you think he's going to delve into this one to five? Come on, Frank. I know you do a show like Seinfeld, you know, a show about nothing. But this is something. And this is made for talk radio. And this is what free speech is all about. When all of a sudden, Pelosi and all the Democrats tell us to collectively shut up, mind your own business, and accept whatever propaganda we put out there. Well, guess what? I'm not accepting that. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Your shoulder, face like ice, a little bit colder, Sandy. you. You cannot do that. It breaks all the this actually come about a recommendation from, uh, as she described herself in New Jersey, between three and five, when we understood there had been three people in the Pelosi mansion. An old hip, hippie in Jersey told us that we needed to play Triad by Grace Slick in the Jefferson Airplane. As you know, one of the greatest Bay Area groups of all time. So... For you, uh, Madam Hippie out there who has maintained her roots with patchouli oil. That's right. It goes to dead concerts and plays the vinyl of uh, Jefferson Airplane, Grace Slick, White Rabbit, Triad. This is all for you. But again, when we went off the air at 5 o'clock, it was all understood. The whole world understood that three people, right, three people were in the Pelosi mansion. When a 911 call went out, uh, and again, this wasn't a blogger, this wasn't a reporter from the San Francisco Chronicle, this was uh, Chuck Todd, meet the press, right? He had checked, double-checked, triple-checked with the San Francisco Police Department before they went to air Sunday morning. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house. You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, DePepe and Pelosi. And then DePepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head. See, that's why this is like hillbilly hand fishing. Really slippery, slimy, these catfish, you know, they're in your hand and they jump out. And all of a sudden, it's a new narrative. So within the space of three hours, and then there were two. (laughs) No press conference, nothing. And then there were two, abracadabra. That's why we can't let up. That's why I won't let up. Whether it costs me my career or whatever, how could you let up? when we're being pimp-slapped all over the place, when everything that is apparent to us is being spun like we're all members of QAnon. Q. 
wear a MAGA hat, wear a Trump. I'm not a MAGA person. I'm not a Trumper. I'm not a Q person. But I'm being lumped into them because I've spent two nights now, six hours each morning, getting into this uh, Pelosi situation and coming up with uh, uh, our listeners' responses, which have been far better than any of the so-called experts, the few that have been interviewed. We don't do that here. And as a result, uh, Matt plays, uh, this may disappoint Frank Morano, Ken, especially Alex, the brown-nosed producer with the schnoz all the way up, Frank Stuckus. We have scored the highest number of listeners who have ever listened to overnight radio in the history of WABC in 100 years, the past two mornings. Is this we've been on. We're the only station handling it. Give an example. Paul Snurdly, normally fearless, right? How many years side-by-side side with Rush Limbaugh? I don't know what happened to him. It was Friday afternoon at about uh, 4.15 or whatever. A guy calls in from Rockland County, and it's like all of a sudden, uh, I guess uh, most nerdly saw his entire career to dis- to dissipate in front of him. George in Rockland County, New York, you're on Boast Nerdly's Rush Hour. How are you, George? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. So I believe this Pelosi story is one huge fake story. I all right, enough. Stop there. Stop there. George, I love you, but I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing any cooch um, stuff today. This man got beaten down with a hammer. We're not going to sit here and say things didn't happen. This is not the Alex Jones show. Things happen. This was an awful thing to happen, and I am not going to permit that on this radio program ever. So all of a sudden, I'm Alex Jones, right? You don't believe this? Look, Bo, just say you didn't want to walk on the third rail. I understand it could cost you your career. This has happened to me many times. We'll see from 1 to 5 this morning when Frank Morano has four hours, if he even puts his big toe in the controversial water of what happened at the Pelosi mansion. Hmm. (laughs) We'll see if the rest of our all-star lineup does that, because what I heard over the weekend, hmm. Well, let's talk about the midterm elections instead. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a hippie guy. He must have been one of theirs. No, he's not one of theirs. He's not one of ours. Well, oh, there's ours and them and all this nonsense. He's a nut job. He's a schoolboy. He's a Fruit Loop trooper. Nobody has really decided to do the deep dive as I've done and bring to the forefront who this Stepepe guy is. Remember, Republicans, oh, it's part of the crime wave you see all over America. No. And actually, Democrats, oh, it's January 6th. You know, wasn't he the guy in Pelosi's office with his feet up on the desk wearing that moose hat, you know, going, Nancy, where's Nancy? No, that's not him. They all wanted to fit their narrative because, you know, it's coming up November 8th, right, midterm elections. We're not going to determine who's going to be the party in power based on what happened in the Pelosi mansion. But we are going to get down to the facts. I promise you that. And come hell or high water, I'm walking that third rail again. A lot of people have been criticizing. We had callers all of a sudden jump my bones uh, over the last 12 hours, try to insert themselves, and, you know, all of a sudden say, oh, I'm cute. 
I'm a MAGA. I'm a super Trumper. You know, I want to I want to overthrow America simply because everything that happened in that mansion doesn't make any sense. That's why I'm going to leave it to all of you. But in the meantime, let's go to J.C. in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, J.C. J.C., how you doing, Curtis? I love you. Uh, the way you put people in place, don't call them names, is just great. Anyway, abracadabra, okay, comes from the Aramaic words avra, A-V-R-A, kadabra, K-E-H-D-V-R-A, it means I will create as I speak, for the first time it was mentioned in literary literary uh, form was in a book in the second century. It was a book. All right, was- all right. That's that's enough. You're going to get your booby prize, JC. Here it goes. You're giving us the Wikipedia. A lot of people think I'm a Syrian. Think that I am originally part of the group that spoke Aramaic to Chaldeans. Because my last name in Chaldean, Christian Iraqians, means crucifix. And the archbishop's name is Sliwa. So they say, well, you want to be a plum? Uh, Polish uh, Sliwa means plum. What would you rather be, a plum or in Chaldean, uh, crucifix? Well, let's face it. Crucifix and being named after the archbishop, right? I think it's a hell of a lot better than being a plum. Because Sliwa in Russian, Ukrainian, and Polish means plum. It's like Shlivovitz. You ever have, uh, you ever knock back some Shlivovitz? Jeff Frank try that, man. He won't be able to do the broadcast. One shot of Shlivovitz. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. How many more things will change from Friday before this guy is arraigned tomorrow on, you will not believe, about 24 charges that in the old days would have put him in the gas chamber right there in Marin County in San Quentin? Normally, he would be cut loose, right? No bail. But, you know, he ain't going nowhere. And, by the way, let's see if he even shows up in court. If he is an Epstein before he has to make his first court appearance. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. That ambient, they crashed his car. You know, the Kennedys are always popping ambient, right, and crashing their cars. Caroline Kennedy was married to Andrew Evil Cuomo, and 
What was that? Uh, forget which Kennedy it was. There's so many of them. Degenerates, dysfunctional as they are. It's Ambien, it's Ambien. Yeah, yeah, sure it is. Great song here, Huey Lewis in the News. You know, Huey Lewis in the News, it's a Bay Area band, but Huey Lewis himself, I think, is from New Jersey. I think. I'm not totally sure. But they're, like, synonymous with the Bay Area. But I want a new drug, right? Like everybody I know in the Bay Area, both sides, whether the San Francisco side, Haight-Ashbury, Golden Gate Park, Berserkly, where this guy is from. Ha! Yeah, totally into drugs, man. All of a sudden, yeah, take this drug. Oh, wow, man, what a buzz. It has been rumored... This guy, De Pepe, may have come over to the house there as a drug procurer, one who sold drugs or shared drugs with the uh, old Kaji. That's just one of the many rumors. And the police have not addressed that. They're just basically now saying, by the way, uh, let me hear that 911 call again, because they're now saying that, in fact, uh, the old codger who's recovering from surgery didn't know this guy at all, yet you would never know that from the 911 call made. Harvey stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. Harvey stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. That his name is David and he is a friend. So what is the dispatcher making this up? Or maybe they're claiming that the old man Pelosi has dementia like uh, his wife, Nancy, and obviously the president of the United States, Joe Biden. By the way, it's Huey Lewis. Um, I remember meeting Huey Newton, who was founder of the Black Panther Party, west side of Oakland, when I formed the Guardian Angels there outside of the Acorn Project. He's a crackhead and got shot and killed. I said, this is the Huey Newton, remember, sitting in that. That chair that was in every college dorm, that wicker basket chair, you know, with the black beret. He's a stone-cold crackhead. Yo, man, I seen you on TV. (laughs) Yo, man, you got a dollar? I said, what the hell was that? That's Huey Newton, man. Former chairman of the Black Panther Party. About two months later, bang, two, two shots to the back of the head. And by the way, the degenerate deserved it. You know, my mother raised me, Curtis, never say anything bad about the dead. Well, I do that all the time. By the way, uh, oh, this past week, I know Frank Morano was out at Oyster Bay Cove celebrating what would have been the birthday of John Gotti Sr. if he were alive, which John Gotti Jr., Angel is favorite. Uh, she's the oldest uh, sibling of Gotti Sr. and uh, Victoria Sr. Gotti Jr., of course, and Victoria Jr., He's smoking cohibas with them out in Oyster Bay Cove as if it was a, a birthday party. Hey, John, how do you like the heat down there, huh? See, that's what I'd be saying. Wow, it was so different. So different. So maybe we'll call this Huey Newton uh, and the crackheads, right? You know, Black Panther style. It's also where the uh, leader... Of the Hell's Angels had his first chapter, East Oakland. I was there, boy. <laughs> I fornication, mad dogging one another. Who am I talking about? And you can win a Curtis Lee with Booby Prize and actually wake Ken up, who was like, huh? What? He's the telephone talent coordinator that Frank Morano favors over Alex, his brown nose producer. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they'll get into that. It's a show about nothing and won't even touch this. 
Anyway, let's go, if we can, to Don in Amityville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Don. Hey, Curtis, it's Don again. I called last night, and right before um, the master of morality from New Jersey, Carl called you. I put a wet blanket on things. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, I think that uh, not only do I think that they were smoking crack and he's bringing the crack over, he might even brought it over and they cooked it up in the kitchen. He got angry when the cops came because he got pissed off that he called the cops or see the cops were there. He's looking for either money for the coke, money for the crack, or where did you hide it after I, te- I taught you how to be Chef Boyardee? I don't know. It's just speculation. But Don, 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 look, it's all ripe for discussion. Uh, I would say, okay, you say crack, I would say meth. Uh, I think okay. uh, if, in fact, this guy, De Pepe, was using anything, uh, meth is a lot cheaper out on the West Coast than crack. Crack will still cost you some coin, not as much as right. powder cocaine. Meth, right. dirt cheap. You know, they get the Sudafed, they steal the Sudafed, and then they, right. you know, they boil it down, and then all of a sudden they're smoking meth. Right. You know, just for the record, too, someone earlier today said he's 82. What are you kidding me? He couldn't smoke drugs. Let me tell you something. Check out Tony Curtis's autobiography. Between 57 and 60, he became a crackhead. All right? So it happens. I was in a rehab once when I was, I was 35 years old, and I hadn't been there for crack, but there were crackheads in there. And uh, there was a guy in his 60s who, who claimed to be a casual crack smoker. <laughs> so, a casual crack like, smoker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no such thing as that. We well, look, look, I'm sure if we did the numbers, maybe one or two out of the many hundreds of thousands who beam themselves up to Scotty in that glass pipe might have, uh, but, boy, it would seem to me all the crackheads I've seen, man, they get hooked quick and they go down quick. Uh, you, it's an anomaly. It couldn't be. It was a joke. He, he was just trying to get out of being there. But the bottom line is uh, that, it's the the fight, I think it was a court guy you had on earlier who was a court officer. Yes. He said that they got into a fight when the cops came. That definitely sounds right because he got angry because you called the cops on me? Come on, you know. Now now I'm going to get nutty because now I want my you, – you, you blew my head completely, in, either for, for the crack, for the money, for whatever. Yeah, because I remember mean, the police now – Hopefully they don't change this part of their press conference that lasted the world's shortest press conference of all time, two and a half minutes. Remember they said that Mr. Pelosi very deftly walked into the bathroom where his cell phone was charging and allowed the conversation to be heard and used coded language. Like, what the hell is this? What is this? Uh, I spy? You know. That's right. I mean, He wanted the guy out of the house. But he didn't want to let the guy know that because he was afraid of the guy. Yes. Now that, that yeah, so, to me, is more plausible. Right. That's exactly what happened. And listen, just on the back end of things, my brother sent you the CD of the songs I wrote, the Frank Morano plays, okay? Yeah, no, no, no definitely. Brother. And, Don, uh, you know, with Frank Morano, you get, you get play, but you get no juice. If I give it exposure, man, remember now, we've had more listeners the last two mornings than any other side of midnight in the history of WABC because we stayed right on this story that nobody else will touch. Nobody. Nobody. You go up and down. What, women's only radio? You think they're touching this? Whoa. Sponsors, you know. Oh, my God. They would have a collective... uh, a nervous breakdown over there. No, no, we're the, we're, this show is the only one. 
The others, they've dabbled with it, but they want to talk midterm elections, which I get. That's That should be the priority, midterm elections. But you can't let this one away because Team Pelosi's trying to milk this for everything they can. And it's very Kennedy-esque. This is how the Kennedys operated. It's the DID syndrome. You deny something initially, and you ignore it, which they're doing right now, 72 hours. They've ignored it. Then you delay doing anything about it when all of a sudden reporters come with the Freedom of Information Act because they want details that are not forthcoming. And by the way, the only details that are forthcoming from the San Francisco Police Department is to amend what they initially said. Could I hear that 911 call again? I, I think they made it very clear as to what Mr. Pelosi told them. Harvey stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. Harvey stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. And let's listen to Chuck Todd, right? We're not talking a rookie here. We're not talking uh, somebody who's, you know, just graduated journalism school in Springfield, Missouri, or Syracuse University, uh, upstate New York. No. He checked, triple-checked before he went on the air by talking to the police commissioner himself of San Francisco. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house. You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, DePepe and Pelosi. And then DePepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head. This is according to the police commissioner himself. Within the matter of three hours, that all changed. Abracadabra, three became two. And nobody's complaining. Maybe. Do you think we have a right to complain? You think we're being bamboozled? You think this is a form of technology because they really do think we're so stupid? Well... Ken, the telephone talent coordinator, he's having a difficult time with this. He's got a muscle between both ears. He's the runway model. Hey, understood. But the rest of you, come on. Anyway, uh, let's go to Leo's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leah. Yuck. Yuck. Um, Okay. I have a question. Uh, did the caller give us name? Because I know usually when you call 911, they ask you for your name. No. See, what they've said is that Mr. Pelosi was in the house. Originally, yeah. what they said was with this guy, DePepe, and with a third mm-hmm. person who remained nameless. Now, all of a sudden, they say that third person didn't exist. And that he no, but what I'm, what I'm saying, Curtis, is that usually when you call 911, they ask you for your name. Yeah, but see, what they're saying is that the person who received the call at the 911 center heard mm-hmm. in the background Mr. Pelosi use code language, code language, and she listened as if this was all of a sudden, you know, it was like teletype, you know, like all of a sudden it was a telegraph, and that she was okay. transponding the telegraph like in the old Western Union, you know, when they used to send it over the wire from train station to train station. And then all of a sudden, somebody from the Pony Express would take the message to the next location. Okay. Now, obviously, that confirms my comment 
that I heard today that uh, it was actually Pelosi who was called from the bathroom. Yes, so they, they claim that he. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, but then why did he go out? Well, well no, no, they said he didn't have the phone. He was charging the phone. That's why he yeah. went into the bathroom, hit 911, and then just started talking in code language as if he was one of those Navajo Indians in World War II yes. who broke the no, Nazi Curtis, code. What I'm saying, if he knew that there was someone there, why did he go out? Those questions. Why didn't you just wait for the police to come? Right. So, Leah, the police have not had another press conference where naturally journalists would ask him that question. They had a two and a half minute press conference. Can we hear that press conference again? World's quickest press conference. Normally, these guys and gals, you can't get them off the stage. It's two hours later and they want to introduce her. And by the way, here's Fred here. He's a new recruit in the San Francisco Police Department. He's great at getting coffee. I want to acknowledge him. Let's give him a great round of applause. They recognize everyone. There's so many people on the stage that it collectively actually uh, collapses from all the people that they have behind them, and they want to acknowledge him. Two and a half minutes, boom, gone, out the door. No questions, and they haven't been back since. Listen to what the police commissioner from San Francisco said. It was 1230 on time, 930 in the morning, their time on Friday morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chief Bill Scott with the San Francisco Police Department. At approximately 227 this morning, San Francisco police officers were dispatched to the residence of Speaker Nancy Pelosi regarding an A-priority well-being check. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Ms. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. The suspect has been identified as 42-year-old David DePepe. Gone. Out the door. No questions. Now, notice he said they responded to a, a priority well-being check. Uh, maybe there are some police officers out there who can respond. I've never heard of anything like that. I've heard a wellness check, but I've never heard an A priority as opposed to maybe a B or a C or a D. A priority well-being check, and why would you be doing that at about 2.30 in the morning? Who summoned you? You see, I believe there was a third person in that that mansion. Instinct would suggest to me it might have been Nancy Pelosi herself. And remember, we have yet to see any video of, video of her leaving the Capitol, flying to San Francisco to check on her husband, uh, going uh, maybe to her house or a hotel, wherever she's staying in the interim. Uh, her son, yes, he did a mini press conference. He didn't say anything other than my dad is recovering. Uh, he will have a full recovery. Thank uh, the world for all their well wishes. Boom, no questions. Where's Nancy Pelosi? What, is she hiding in a bunker maybe in West Virginia because she fears that there'll be more attacks? Here? You know, like Dick Cheney when he was vice president, remember the attack on 9-11? They had that bunker uh, somewhere in uh, West Virginia. 
Let's go, if we can, to Mike in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yeah, Curtis, before I make my comment, I, I got to ask you, uh, how many hammers were there? Was it one or was there two? One for each person or, was, or did just Pelosi have the hammer? You see, that would be the correct question to the police who wouldn't take any questions is, did your police officers, the three who arrived at the scene, did they see each person with a hammer or were they struggling over one hammer? Because but, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say, Curtis, if both of them had a hammer and neither one of them were injured when the cops went there, that means they were after the third person or, or they maybe injured him or something. And so uh, maybe the cops came as whoever took him away. Uh, then the other guy tried to take out Pelosi to keep him from talking. So maybe somebody took the third person for a ride, a one-way trip. You know what I'm saying? I'm not Plausible. Anything's plausible because we haven't heard from the police. All we hear from the police behind closed doors is, ah, we told you there were three people. It's really two. Now, imagine if you're Chuck Todd, right? Everybody's watching your show Sunday morning, Meet the Press, and they've already told you there's three people. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, De Pepe and Pelosi. And then De Pepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head. Right. I mean, check, double-check, check, like NASA, before you launch a um, check, 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 done. Three hours later, no. Three becomes two, abracadabra. I actually became aware of this at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yes, Matt Blaze, unlike uh, the Frank Morano show, in which you guys sometimes, you're like, uh, you're all over the place, attention deficit disorder. I was like on it, and I'm looking at my phone. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. Lo and behold, who's listening? It's our owner-operator, great talk show host in his own right, John Katzmatidis. And there it is. He had the information. There was a third person, as reported by the San Francisco Police Department. That's when I first became aware of it. That has gone away. (laughs) Done. You don't know what you're all talking about. It's actually two. Three has become two. Abracadabra. Just like, remember, the illusionalists. You know, Harry Houdini, um, Sonny Fox, remember on Wonderama? Boom, gone. Put the guy in behind the curtain. There was three. Boom, open up the curtain. He's disappeared. Now there's only two. You know who we need here? The amazing Randy. Remember how he would come and he would bust these illusionists and say, oh, no, there's still three. You see, you hit him. You hit him, he was crouched down there, he went down below the floor, but it was still three, not two. God, the amazing man. By the way, he would have fit in well in the gay, in the uh, Bay Area, because it turned out he was gay, too. Yeah, 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 a lot of gays in the, oh, 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 man, you can't say that, right? And this guy, the Peppy, what a freak he was. 
Oh, we're going to get into this in the next hour. I was the first to bring to all of your attention how a guy from north of Vancouver, British Columbia, 20 years ago comes down to Berkeley, marries a woman named Gypsy Taub, who's from Moscow, Russia, who is the head of a nudist hippie colony that was operating in the Castro section of San Francisco, which was predominantly a gay, lesbian area. I know that's where we were invited in the first Star Guardian Angel patrols in the mid-'80s. And I was told to leave by then Diane Feinstein, who was not suffering from dementia, who was the mayor, and said, you're a vigilante. Get the hell out of here. I said, well, you're gay and lesbians inviting me in. You're a homophobe. Why would they invite me in? You're a homophobe. Leave San Francisco. I never did. But Berkeley, oh, Berkeley, you think somebody with a MAGA hat who's a Trumper could be walking around Berkeley? That's like the two Nigerian guys, remember, with the MAGA hats with Jesse Smollett. And Smollett said, yeah, they put the hangman's noose around me at 3 o'clock in the morning after I got a Subway sandwich. Yeah, right. And remember when people with common sense said, that doesn't make any sense. No, no, you're racist. You're racist. Jesse's a victim. He's still saying he's a victim now. He's right. Meantime, whatever happened to those two Nigerian guys? Did they go back to Lagos, Nigeria? Did they get some loot over that? Oh, no, don't go anywhere. We're not, we're not leaving this story. We're walking the third rail. There's so much more here, and we're going to go into the belly of the beast and get it. WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. I left my heart in San Francisco. High on a hill It calls to me To be where little cable cars Climb halfway to the stars The morning fog the Now you see, he's talking about Russian Hill, if you've ever been in San Francisco. Russian Hill, very exclusive. Tony Bennett entertained so many people at piano bars there, very intimate. That's where I first met Tony Bennett. And then... You see the wharf from there. You see Alcatraz out in the bay. Oh, it's a beautiful city. But then if you look across to the East Bay, this Telegraph Hill, ooh, different in Berkeley. It goes right up to UCAL Berkeley, the most radical university in the United States. And on both sides of Telegraph Hill, burned out hippies, freaks, Every kind of uh, social misfit you can imagine. And that was back in the 80s. It's like 10 times worse now. And that's where this guy, De Pepe, first came. 
When he came down from British Columbia, he was a photographer by trade. So he hooked up with this um, woman named Gypsy. She was 11 years older than him. She was from Moscow, Russia, but very fluent in English, which would suggest that maybe she was KGB, huh? Think about it. And uh, she was the head of a hippie nudist colony. And they would meet across the bay in San Francisco in the Castro, and they would take their clothes off, and every day it was summer solstice, spring solstice, and they would go to Golden Gate Park, and they would dance right in the shadow of the Golden Gate Bridge. Buck naked. Now, the Pepe, he never took his clothes off. He was the photographer, and he would take the pictures. And then all of a sudden, one day, he was looking at this woman who was 11 years his senior, and their eyes melted into one another, and the next thing you know, he was married to her. But he didn't realize that there were two other guys also married to her. I don't know if she was into polygamy. We know she's not a Mormon, an extreme Mormon. But this is part of what was going on in her hippie nudist commune in Berkeley. And in fact, in one of her many marriages, he was the best man. The only one who didn't take his clothes off because he was the photographer. And part of the celebration of the wedding is they all got under a blanket, all three of the men and her. And then a fight took place. Apparently, he got a little ujellos, and he was exiled into the broken-down bus outside, and that's where he has continued to live. But he was still part of the nudist colony. Now, people were saying, well, where's Gypsy? Gypsy would know, right? She's the leader of the hippie colony of nudists in Berkeley, right? Well, a reporter tracked her down. She is an inmate, or as we now call them in New York, according to Kathy Crimewave Holcomb, incarcerated persons in the state correctional facility for women. She was found guilty of 20 charges, the most egregious and serious, where she tried to kidnap a 14-year-old boy outside of Berkeley High School. Why? Yet to figure that out. But I want you to hear her do an interview, jailhouse interview, in which she's very lucid, she's very sane, and she's basically giving an intro of herself and how she knew De Pepe. Uh, hello, this is Gypsy Taub. I am uh, the ex-wife partner of uh, David uh, Pap and the mother of his children. A call from Exxon Taub, better known as Gypsy, a nudist activist. Uh, yeah, what's your job description? I'm a nudist activist. <laughs> What are you doing time for? You you got hit with 20 charges. Well, you know, I tried to kidnap a 14-year-old boy outside of Berkeley High School. Oh, freaky deaky. Now, she then goes on to say that the Pepe, who she's had three kids with, and again, she's been married to two of the other nudist guys, she says he is mentally ill, not her, he. Taub now revealing a longtime relationship with David DePoppy, the man accused of viciously attacking Speaker Pelosi's husband inside their San Francisco home. He is mentally ill. He's been mentally ill for a long time. He is mentally ill. He's been mentally ill a long time. Lady, do you think maybe your screws are loose too? Trying to kidnap a 14-year-old boy outside of Berkeley High School, right? That's why you're doing time 
in a female correctional facility in California. And she went on to describe how he had disappeared for about a year to Pepe. She would go out, check in the bus. She wasn't there for a full year. And then he returned, and guess what? Like all school balls, what did he claim he was? Together, they raised their two sons and her daughter until about seven years ago. Describing a time DePoppy returned home after disappearing for a year. He came back in really bad shape. He thought he was Jesus. He was constantly paranoid, that thinking that people are after him. Did he have any sort of aggression towards politicians? Were his political beliefs extreme, in your opinion? When I met him, he didn't really have, uh, he was only 20 years old. He didn't have any experience in politics. He was very much in alignment with my beliefs. Uh, we, I have, I've always been very progressive, and actually I absolutely admire Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Gypsy, even though she's doing time, hard time, for trying to kidnap a 14-year-old boy outside of Berkeley High School. Legitimate liberal progressive. When you go to the commune there, the hippie, nudist commune, they have Black Lives Matter posters. They have gay liberation flags. They have other progressive slogans up. And remember, he's living right there. He just happens to be in the bus next door because he got into a fight with the other two guys that she's married to, too. Got a little jealous. So she exiled him to the bus. But he's still part of the nudist colony. Liberal progressive. How did he go from being liberal progressive, Black Lives Matter, black power, black power, gay liberation, to suddenly he's wearing a MAGA hat, he's Q, and he's voting for Donald Trump, right? The media had now, has he dabbled in that? Probably. I mean, anybody with a laptop, right? They go around the world in like 80 seconds. But are we to really believe that he's a stone-cold Q guy, a Trumper? I don't know. He's going to be arraigned in a few hours in San Francisco County Court. Let's hope between now and then he hasn't been epstein along the way. Or what will be another delay tactic? Check this. He has an attorney who has been appointed, public defender. Let's say the public defender says to the judge, I need additional time. There's so many charges here because they're going to hit him with everything that I really need to, you know, do a deep dive into this. And could we have a new court date? And then nothing gets resolved, right? No press conference, everything later after November 8th. That would serve a lot of people's purposes, right? Mr. Pelosi would continue to recover. Nobody can see him, you know. Sorry, he's, he's, he's recovering. No comment. Nancy will disappear, claiming that her life has been threatened, so she's in that bunker that normally the vice president is in West Virginia, if, in fact, there's a nuclear attack. She can actually say, well, Putin is threatening, you know, to Armageddon, so, you know, I'm in that bunker until after November 8th. You see, think, think, ladies and gentlemen, they don't want us to think this out. They don't want us to think this out. Let's go to Wayne, who's calling all the way from Ontario in Canada. Your turn to be heard here, WABC, Wayne. Good evening, General Lee The whole problem, I'm wondering, it's almost like we could write another chapter in the Bible called the, called the Surreal Revelations about San Francisco. But, you know, how, can a, how many friends do you know that don't have names? Apparently he knew, the, like according to the dispatch, he knew this person, and yet he, he doesn't know his name. 
And the third person opened the door at 2 a.m. in the morning. If he's waiting for his wife, his, his person, this other person, that's got to be his wife. It couldn't be anybody else at the early morning, early morning hours. That's what I'm wondering. Well, well Wayne, uh, I must update you. When I left the air at 5 o'clock this afternoon, East Coast time, it was understood. It was three people. Absolutely three people. In fact, the certification was given to us by Chuck Todd at Meet the Press, his reporter who had checked, double-checked, triple-checked. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house. You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, De Pepe and Pelosi. And then De Pepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head. In just three hours, Wayne, abracadabra, three has become two. We've been told now that, that, no, there was never a third person. The the police commissioner told us there was a third person. That's true. That is true. And so if you notice, they're banking on the fact that Americans, you know, like our telephone talent coordinator, Ken here, has minimal minimal attention span, you know, like they can't even remember what food they had in the morning. That's why they post their breakfast on Facebook. It reminds them that they had the Grand Slam at Denny's. In the morning because they were too soggy, so. Exactly. But Now, Wayne, if we were in the land of Canada with 33 Mm -hmm. million folks under the dictatorship of Trudeau Jr., you know, he would ban this. He would ban, He would not allow any of this information out. He would get the RCMP, and they would do a crackdown, Dudley Do-Right and his famous steed. Mm. You, you know that, Wayne, right? Oh, for sure, especially this press secretary. He does all the work for him. Yeah. Wayne, you see, they want us to shut up. They don't want us to discuss this. They don't want us to have free speech. The moment we question the lack of information and how all of a sudden, how all of a sudden they've changed their narrative. We're MAGA, we're Uber MAGA, we're Q, uh, we're, uh, could I hear that? Uh, what did James Golden say? I want to hear James Golden. Basically, he was calling me, who, who is that nut job? Go ahead. George in Rockland County, New York. You're on Bo Stanley's Rush Hour. How are you, George? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. So I believe this Pelosi story is one huge fake story. All right, enough. Stop there. Stop there. George, I love you, but I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing any cooch stuff today. This man got beaten down with a hammer. We're not going to sit here and say things didn't happen. This is not the Alex Jones show. Oh, so now I'm Alex Jones, huh? So now I'm a screwball, right? No, 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 no. I'm walking the third rail. People need to be heard. This is Free Speech Radio here, the number one news talk station in the nation. We are always seeking the truth. You can't get the truth unless you ask questions. And it behooves Pelosi to be like the Sphinx, to take the code of Omerta. I mean, there's sympathy, there's empathy for her husband. Of course, we want him to recover. But we don't believe 
how it went down. I don't. Anybody with any common sense would say, wait, there were three people you told us, police commissioner. Now you're down to two. And now you're telling us he didn't know this guy at all. Yet the police dispatcher, the 911 dispatcher, told us he did know this guy. In fact, he knew his name. Harvey stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. Harvey stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. He's a friend. Anyway, let's go to uh, Erica, who's calling from White Plains. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Erica. Yeah, hi. Yeah, uh, this thing has a cover-up written all over it. I mean, uh, who opened the door? Who opened the door? And the people at the press conference, I thought they all acted very weirdly. They all acted like they just got paid a lot of money to to be quiet. And also, um, uh, the thing with David DePepe, there was never any mention about his injuries, why he went to the hospital. Maybe, um, Maybe Pelosi's husband banged him up. Maybe he was banging him back and defending himself. Maybe he should... Not, not even go to jail. Maybe it was self-defense well, for him. Well, Erica, hopefully <laughs> he has a good public defender, which I doubt. If you've ever dealt with public defenders, you're lucky. Sometimes there are good ones like Jose Alba, the guy who defended himself when he stabbed that marauder who came over the counter, remember, at that bodega up there in Washington Heights. I was surprised. Uh, I and Nancy and the Guardian Angels went to his first court appointment they remanded him to Rikers, remember, $250,000 bail, second-degree murder charge from Alvin Bragg, who lets everybody else loose. And I was surprised. He had a public defender who was really good and returned my call, which normally they don't. You know, they introduced me to Mr. Click. And she explained the strategy, which was a brilliant strategy, which eventually he was released. Unfortunately, Jose Alba was so frightened for his life and walking the streets of uh, Washington Heights, that he's now back in the DR. He's safer in the DR than he is here. But in that case, the public defender was really excellent. And that has happened. Look, I've had public defenders, right? Could have been doing a little bit of time there. You know, hey, Mr. Sleewood, did you do this to this guy who now claims that he can't stand up and that, in fact, his arm doesn't move? Let me take a look at that guy. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the guy, Judge. And the public defense. Curtis, quiet. Curtis takes the fifth. We need a new court date. We need to examine what the injuries are. Uh, we need to see the x-rays. But, but yeah, that was good. Could have got mm, a little bit of time for that because I really did. Man, I'm telling you, I gave that guy an attitudinal readjustment. And I took his head And, you know, all of a sudden I said, you want to see the curb? He says, what are you talking about? Bang! All of a sudden his forehead met the curb. Look! It's an attitudinal readjustment. But a lot of public defenders are good, but a lot of them forget about it. So we will see in a few hours when he makes his first court appearance, the Pepe, probably with a public defender. my, My prediction is that they will postpone the court hearing. But we will see that he's alive, that he hasn't been Epstein. Now, how do we know that when they processed him in, they left him with his belt, his shoelaces, a nice sheet, and said, hey, 
Do what you got to do. That's happened before in jails. Anyway, let's go to Dave, who's calling from Cali. Cali, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. In case Bo Snurley's listening, this story smells fishier than a week-old sushi, and it's changing more than a mood ring changes colors on a schizophrenic person. So it merits a lot of discussion. Now I'd like to bring up a few things. I'm of the belief he was an invited guest because rumor is that Mr. Pelosi is gay. When he was pulled over for drunk driving at four in the morning, he had a young man in the car with him. And I don't think that uh, Pelosi's an Uber driver. So that says to me he's gay and that he was an invited guest. Because think about this, Curtis. Imagine you break into the house and you have plastic ties, and you're there to tie them up with the plastic ties. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Suspect, do you mind if I use the bathroom first? Oh, why, sure, go ahead. So that, to me, says that he was an invited guest and that, you know, yeah, go ahead, use the bathroom. Um, I don't even think he needed to ask permission. I don't believe that there were plastic ties. I don't believe that the intruder was running around saying, where's Nancy, where's Nancy? The number one narrative that the president of the United States and the press secretary is pushing is, oh, clearly this is an extension of January 6th. B.S. And here's something else I want to bring your attention, Curtis. If you notice the picture of the window that's open in the back, well, you better prove that it was really a break-in. Now, keep in mind, this happened at 2.30 in the morning, pitch dark. So now you're telling me you leave the window open until the next day when it's plenty bright, 12 noon, so the CNN photographers could take a picture. Oh, look, it proves a break-in. Look at the window wide open. You mean they don't think to close the window? It reminds me of when Jesse Smollett had the noose around his neck, and the police said to him, gee, don't you want to take that noose off your neck? And he's like, well, yeah, I just wanted to make sure you saw it. So the whole thing's BS. It's changing too many times. And, um, again, I don't like the narrative they're pushing, trying to make it sound like it's Trump MAGA January 6th. Well, Dave, I want to thank you because I had left that out in my dissertation at the start of the show. Yes, CNN is reporting that through a source at the San Francisco Police Department and the prosecutor's office in San Francisco County, they found plastic ties in uh, DePepe's possession. Some have suggested, sure, that was... uh, to uh, restrain Nancy Pelosi, whatever he wanted to do with Nancy. That's why he's, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? By the way, that has been repeated so often that my wife now, who's named Nancy, Nancy Sliwa, wants to go back to what she used to be called Beth. She doesn't want to be called Nancy anymore. Well, she'll be coming on with us at 11 o'clock for the Animal Welfare Hour. We'll ask her that. Sort of my youngest son, Hunter. You know, when Trump was saying, where's Hunter? Where's Hunter? He owes all this money. My poor son, right, he's 11 years old. All the kids in school would say, how come Trump is looking for you, Hunter? You owe him money? Kid is now, it's like, can I change my name, Daddy? No. You're stuck with it. I didn't give you that name. Your mother did. I never named a kid of mine Hunter. Oh, wait a second. Where did that name come from? This is worth a booby prize. What uh, show about a police uh, man, which he was named Hunter, former 
NFL all-time great defensive tackle. No, make that end for the New York Giants and then the L.A. Rams. Starred in that show for many, many years. And if I remember correctly, his name in the show was Hunter. For that, you can win a Curtis Lee will booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. We throw nickels around like manhole covers. But we don't have alligator arms like Frank Morano from the worst side or the other side of midnight. It will be coming up from 1 to 5 Monday through Fridays. No, based on the generosity of our owner and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, and our parent company, Red Apple Media, you will win a beautiful styling and profiling WABC baseball cap. And in this case, it'll have a patch on it that says the best side of the other side of midnight, the Curtis Lee show. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to mess with you in the hood when they see Curtis Lee, that's for sure. Let's go, if we can, uh, to, uh, hmm. Ah. 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 I just bit my tongue. It's blood. It's not for Halloween. I bit my tongue. I'm sorry I had to pause there momentarily, ladies and gentlemen. It might be the curse of Nancy Pelosi that is upon me because... Maybe right now she's thinking he speaks with forked tongue and being Italian. She may have put the evil eye, the malukia, on me. When we come back, uh, I will share with you some of the calls, vicious in nature, that came in within the last 12 hours to try to get us off track, to try to prevent us from getting to the truth. Now, everything we've just said for the last three days may turn out not to be true. But the San Francisco Police Department, the FBI, the Capitol Police, the um, California Highway Patrol, how they're involved with this, I have no idea. You know, Estrada and Chip said, well, what are they doing there? But they have not clarified any of this, so it leads to a lot of potential speculation, which is A-OK. That's part of free speech, especially when there's a dearth of information or they are now changing the narrative. We started with three at the start of the show. I, 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 I can't play in enough. Chuck, Chuck Todd, uh, earlier today on Meet the Press, after he checked with the police commissioner of San Francisco himself three times, who had said in his initial press conference there were three people in that house, listen to how he certified that. And then all of a sudden, hours later, three became two, abracadabra. And there seems to be a hint that there was a third person in the house. You've got some new details on that as well, Tom. What can you tell us? Well, that's correct, Chuck. So it, the police chief came out and did a press conference later on Friday when, when most people had uh, uh, already started to go to bed on the East Coast. And, and in that press conference, uh, he stated that there was a third person inside the house that opened the door for police when they were called to that house. And that's when they saw the struggle over the hammer between uh, De Pepe and Pelosi. And then De Pepe, according to police, uh, struck Pelosi in the head. Nope. Sorry. San Francisco Police Department has come out and said, that's not true. And so that's what he's It's your police commissioner who said it. No. Three becomes two. Abracadabra. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
city is a journey singing about, of course, the city of theirs, which is San Francisco. The song is called Lights, singing all about San Francisco on the bay. Now, more relative to San Francisco is Berkeley, where this guy, the accused, was living in a bus outside of the hippie nudist commune run by his wife, 11 years older than him, Gypsy Taub, who's now in a state correctional facility for women charged with 20 major counts, the most egregious being she attempted to kidnap a 14-year-old boy outside of uh, the Berkeley High School. And she sounded quite sane in that interview. Have you heard that interview anywhere else? Of course not, Ken. You didn't hear it. Uh, Alex. Oh, man, I, I should have researched that for Frank Morano, the other side of midnight. Well, he's not going to do this story. We know that. He doesn't want to dance on the third row. I understand. He just got a brand-new show across the nation with affiliates. He doesn't want to jeopardize all of that. And obviously, uh, you, Matt Blaze, you've been a fugitive for many of your years, many aliases you've had. I bet you you didn't hear this uh, jailhouse uh, interview with uh, Gypsy Taub, did you? Of course you didn't. You didn't even know it existed. They don't want you to know that. That woman's a screwball. He's a screwball. And he was the photographer for the nudist colony that would go over to San Francisco City Hall once a week and they would have nudist weddings. And the mayor at that time, Willie Brown, that's right, a guy who actually had uh, suits more expensive than Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. You remember Willie Brown, the most powerful Democrat in all of California when he was the speaker of the state legislature in uh, Sacramento? Before that, he was mayor of San Francisco when he discovered Giggles Harris. (laughs) You'd make a good... San Francisco County Prosecutor just got to, you know, got to be my gumada, you know. I'll show you the way. Hey, it's all acknowledged. I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. And from there, she went on to become the state attorney general. And remember how Barack Obama, the president, who is now as ex-president out on the campaign trail for the Democrats in the midterm elections. Remember how on that one visit to San Francisco, he was looking at then... Attorney General Harris, and it's a little magic. So, wow. He actually went to the... This is a good-looking Attorney General. I can see that I'll be returning to California quite often. When he went back to the White House, Michelle Obama was flexing those 24-inch pythons. And he was told straight up, you ain't going to Cali no more. Yeah, that look... I know you look at Giggles Harris now and you say, eh, no, a few years ago, the president was mesmerized by her, Obama, and Willie Brown, the most powerful Democratic official in all of California, had her as a gumada, and the quid pro quo was he elevated her politically. She became the San Francisco County Prosecutor and then eventually elected the Attorney General of the State of California and then U.S. Senator. You know the rest of the story. Now, look, a lot of that she earned. It's not just because uh, she was his commander, but you imagine. Here's Willie Brown. He's certifying the, the marriage of the nudists in City Hall, San Francisco. If you've ever been to City Hall in San Francisco, it is an amazing Art Deco building. 
one of the best city halls that uh, I've been kicked out of over the years. Yeah, yeah, Diane Fine. To get out of here, you vigilante. But, man, before they kicked me out, I was like, wow. It's better than our city hall, I got to tell you that. Much better than our city hall in downtown New York. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I was digressing there. But I want to play you a cut because in the last 12 hours, as I was doing the other side of midnight, and in fact, the data came in, it was the most listened to other sides of midnight in the history of WABC Radio, our 100th anniversary this year, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, because we were all over this subject and no other show would touch this. But I want you to know that it wasn't necessarily too easy because I had a lot of people calling up and they were trying to derail us. Like this guy at about 3 o'clock in the morning as I had just been informed by our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, through a text that, in fact, the San Francisco Police Department was uh, reporting and verifying that a third person was in the Pelosi mansion this guy tried to derail us, Dave from the Bronx. Excuse me, uh, this is America. We have free speech. Uh, uh, aren't, I, aren't I allowed to give an opinion with a, such a lack of information? I mean, aren't you at least concerned that in 48 hours we've had one press conference that lasted two minutes and we've not been shown any video, any photographs, nothing since? First of all, you don't have a, a necessarily – there's no right for you to see any of that, okay? If the police choose to release that, that's wonderful. But you are questioning that the – or some of your callers are questioning that this attack even happened. They're claiming it was a drug deal gone wrong. A drug deal with an 82-year-old man? Give me a break. What's wrong with the people that listen to this station? You can't accept – that something like this actually happened, that there are people out there, and this guy sounds like he's probably some kind of a nutcase, but nutcases have political opinions also. Try to derail us, Dave, from the Bronx, and there were others. There was Carl from New Jersey, a whole litany of them. And see, what they were trying to do was get us off focus. First of all, if you've ever been down to Florida, where people can't wait uh, enough for the 4 o'clock Bluebird special, they go doctor shopping for drugs down there, senior citizens. Yeah, doctor shopping. What does this guy Dave know? I mean, no, no, see, oh, impossible. You know, how, how do we know? Because the police, the uh, prosecutors, the FBI, the Capitol Police, they've given us bupkis. They've given us ugats. If anything, they've taken back what they said in the world's shortest press conference in the history of press conferences, two and a half minutes. Could I hear that again, please? Good morning, everybody. My name is Chief Bill Scott with the San Francisco Police Department. At approximately 2.27 this morning, San Francisco police officers were dispatched to the residence of Speaker Nancy Pelosi regarding an A-priority well-being check. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Ms. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. The suspect has been identified as 42-year-old David DePepe. And then they walked right out of the room. No questions, and they haven't been seen since. 
They didn't even tell us anything about, hey, does David DePepe have a, you know, record? Nothing. Bupkis. Who got? And they've taken back from then. Instead of three people, forget three, it's now back to two. And I, I shouldn't be asking these questions. We shouldn't be questioning why there is no film. Body cams, three cops show up, right? Body cams are on. They should have been on. We would see for ourselves what transpired. We know there are cameras in the Pelosi mansion. We know there are cameras outside the Pelosi mansion. In that neighborhood, there are cameras up and down the streets. It is one of the most... Uh, Highly patrolled communities in all of San Francisco with private security per capita per person. So there's lots of film. Have, have, have we seen anything yet? No. Three days later, 70. We haven't even seen the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. We assume that she was in the Capitol, flew back to San Francisco, is at the bedside of a husband who is recovering from surgery for a fractured skull and probably a broken or fractured arm. We wish him a speedy recovery. Well, when have you ever known Nancy Pelosi not to want to talk into a microphone or a camera? I remember the last time I saw her, I want to punch Donald Trump right in the face. And that was right in the middle of the attack of January 6th. Okay, let me calm down. Oh, let's go to Stan in Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stan. Tell me something. Interests me a lot. I like I like your bilge and your talk. If Nancy, your wife, got hit with a hammer five or six times, would you be on the radio talking and talking and talking? Or oh, you'd be next to her, wouldn't you? Hoping she'd be okay. You you'd be upset, wouldn't you? You'd wouldn't want to stay the hell away from me. I don't want to. Wouldn't you? You wouldn't be talking about dogs. You'd be next to her because she's so important. You love her. I mean, you wouldn't be opening your mouth and let you think. Tell me something. What is your problem? The guy, Dave, here's the problem, okay? What do you think you know? Tell us. I'm asking you. You know something? Tell us what you think you know. Go ahead. Stan, we were told by the police commissioner there were three people in the Pelosi residence. Chuck Todd then went with that, with Meet the Press. As soon as he announced it, then all of a sudden the San Francisco Police Department said, no, there were two people. Why would the police commissioner say three? I heard everything you heard, okay? First of all, I agree on one thing. That news conference was quicker than the 10-minute ride through Giadilly Square. It was fast. I didn't understand. It went quick. You're right. It's possible. Isn't it possible that they don't know everything, that they're trying to do piece by piece by piece? This is an investigation. As far as she is concerned, you know, let her be with her husband. I don't know what happened. You're guessing. You're uh, surmising. You're doing. You got. You you put it under the guise of freedom of speech. I believe in freedom of speech, like you, Curtis. But come on, let's see what happened. This maniac got in. Uh, you're, you're one of your callers, Dave. I don't know who's him. That maniac says, "Oh, there was a drug deal and nothing." I don't know what it was. It could be, but let's wait and see. Then you bring up the Kennedy BS that oh, it's, they're trying to. I mean, where do you, you – know, I know you've got, to, you've got great ratings. I know that. And you've got to be on for six hours. But your diatribe and diatribe is unbelievable. I think you, of all people, would want to know what happened. So let's wait and see. Yeah, ask questions. i got no problem with it. But don't make these uh, suggestions or these 
observations that you don't know are true. There was two. Now there's three. Now there's two. They're trying to hide it. We don't know what's going on. And I would think as much as I like Nancy Pelosi, sometimes I don't. Let's give her her time with her husband. I mean, if she's probably saying to him, what the hell happened here? I mean, she's got a mouth. She's probably telling him, what the hell happened here? How did this happen? I mean, uh, if anybody's going to be a judge on a husband, it'll be her. So let's wait and see. That's Folks, all Anne, I'm saying. Uh, I would amend one thing that you said. You said to me if I was at the bedside of my wife, Nancy, right. who had been brutally attacked. Right. Once I knew she was okay, I'd be outside live at five, man, every camera, every microphone. Well, that's, that's crazy, Curtis, because your wife is more important than the damn speech on the radio. Your Nancy is, is everything to you. And talking for four hours about blah, 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 wait till she's fine, wait till she's good, wait till she's okay. Then, you know, you get to yourself and then you, uh, you can do whatever you have Stan, to do. Stan, but, I'd say, Nancy, are you okay? You know, she's, uh, uh, <laughs> she said the dog is okay. I, said, uh, I think I'll, I'll hold. On. I said I got a press conference to do outside. Excuse me, I got to go live at five. She would understand. Would she? Of course, because I got to get the information out. I understand that, but her health is more important as far as I'm concerned. Well, did you, you ever would... think, Stan, that maybe her health would improve if I wasn't in that room? <laughs> You just hung yourself on that one, baby. <laughs> Maybe by me not being in that room, she would recover quicker. Hey, anyway, you know, I hope your wife is, uh, lives a long time, but cut the dog stuff. It's oh, annoying. Oh, by the way, by the way, saying, oh, she's got beef with Dominic Carter. You want to be listening to this. Dominic doesn't know what kind of trouble he's in. Oh, my God. And also all 18 rescue cats who were listening to Dominic at that time. He is persona non grata in the Sliwa cat house. Oh, and he walks in here. Man, I don't know if he can handle it. I don't even think he knows what he said on the radio. But, see, that's why I have so many people listening. I want rats out there to report to me what Dominic says, what Frank says, and get it to me, and then I'll turn it around and turn it on them. They think they could say anything, anytime, any place. A lot of people aren't going to take them to task. Wrong. I want you to all be my rats. And when they say, what? You ratted them out? Yeah. And you say, like I say, I eat the biggest piece of Parmesan cheese. And for Frank Morano, he loves fromage, right? He loves cheese. He should be able to understand that. Anyway, let's go to Tony, who's calling from Daytona Beach, Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Hey, Curtis, I have a question for you. Um, you have piqued my interest in this whole Pelosi thing. Why don't you, I mean, you have the street cred, you have years of experience on the street. Um, you know where all the bones are buried. Why don't you conduct uh, an investigation as an uh, investigative reporter and start filing the Freedom of Freedom of Information Act requests and different things to get the body cam, to get the uh, dispatcher call, to to get the, uh, you know, what they encountered, the, the police report, how many people were present. Ask those questions. Well, I this how is what I've ask. done uh, so far, Tone, so, you know, I'll get you up to speed. Uh, in the previous program from 3 to 5, I had mentioned that before the lockdown and pandemic of uh, March of 2020, uh, the San Francisco Police Department gave the guardian angels there in the uh, 
the Tenderloin, the Lower Tenderloin, and the Mission, one of their most prestigious awards. It was the Deputy Police Commissioner, who is now retired. He's living outside of Arizona. Uh, I put in a call to him. He, he's he got all the contacts. Uh, I don't. Uh, he also has contacts with the police department in Berkeley, which you can imagine how difficult it is to be a police officer in Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he knows them all. And I will try to patch this together uh, the best way I can. Obviously, it's hard to do it with anybody who's active in the police departments because uh, it might jeopardize their job or their pensions. Uh, you know, they got to support their families. But I can, well, ass- I-, I can assure all of you, uh, Tony, that I'm not just talking about it. I'm doing the deep dig. Because I hear some people, even on our own station, they talk about it. And, you know, they talk about it from the perspective of what the Republicans want to say, that it's all about the crime in America. And I'm telling my colleagues, no, not this case. The Democrats, well, we know where they're going with this case because who showed up in Philadelphia yesterday like he did remember that Thursday night? Outside of Freedom Hall, bathed in that red light with the Marines behind him, when he declared war against everyone who is a Trump supporter, who wears a MAGA hat, uh, or who questions his authority. He returned to Philadelphia, the site of that blistering attack on MAGA and Trumpers, and renewed it in the case involving the attack on Mr. Pelosi. He was attacked in their home. And uh, when I spoke to the speaker, she said that uh, he's doing okay. He went to the hospital, was operated on, and uh, he seems to be coming along well. Uh, He's in good spirits, and whole family's there. While this invasion is ongoing, the, uh, the news reports indicate it was intended to be an attack on on the house Nancy Pelosi lives in the third-ranking person in the United States in line to be president. You know, uh, it's reports that the same chant was used by this guy they have in custody that was used on January 6th in the attacks on the U.S. Capitol. I'm not making this up. This is reported. I can't guarantee it. I can tell you what's being reported. The chant was, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? This is despicable. There's no place in America. There's too much violence, too much hatred, too much vitriol. And what makes us think that one party can talk about stolen elections, COVID being a hoax, there's all a bunch of lies, and it not affect people who may not be so well balanced. What makes us think that it's not going to corrode the political climate? Enough is enough is enough. Every person of good conscience needs to clearly and unambiguously stand up against the violence in our policy. What your politics are. All of us. All of us together, as Americans, knowing Paul and Nancy and the families I do, they're tough as they come. We're praying for them. 
We're optimistic for his full recovery. Nothing that the president said there yesterday in Philadelphia could be proven. So he obviously pimped the ride of this story since uh, polls indicate that the biggest two issues now for Americans going into the midterm elections a little more than a week away is inflation, number one, crime, number two. That does not play to the interests of the Democrats, who at one time, the two biggest issues were democracy, the threat of democracy, a.k.a. January 6th, uh, and uh, the repeal of Roe v. Wade. That's when they were doing quite well, and it looked like they might even hold on to the House, and we'd be stuck, believe it or not, with Nancy Pelosi as Speaker again. Well, all of those... Uh, Issues have gone topsy-turvy. It's Michigash now. It's inflation. It's crime. And so that plays to the Republicans. So naturally, what does the president want to do? What do members of the Democratic Party want to do? They want you to get refocused on a threat to democracy, uh, January 6th, MAGA, and somehow paint this loony kazuni, this uh, Fruit Loop trooper, uh, as if he's a member of... The Society of Donald Trump. Now, what the president either is not aware or doesn't care is that this guy, again, let's look at him, DePepe, as an individual. He comes down from north of Vancouver, British Columbia, 20 years ago. He's a photographer. He instantly joins a hippie nudist commune that's called the Castro Nudist Colony. Not in honor of Fidel Castro or Raul Castro behind the sugar cane curtain of Cuba, but the Castro section in San Francisco that has always been predominantly gay and lesbian before uh, the city uh, took on a uh, large percentage of gays and lesbians uh, who uh, live there and vote there and work there and have become a power there, political power there. That's where it started. And they would have marriages at City Hall. He would be the photographer. You know, if you go down to the city clerk's office, Every day they do marriages downtown opposite City Hall. The mayor is not involved. Occasionally mayors uh, do get involved in marrying people. Rudy did it. I'm sure Eric Adams will do it. De Blasio did it from time to time. Frank Morano claims he's a minister who does it. Yeah, a minister who gots, right? A minister. Yeah, sure. The point being is you go to the city clerk's office in New York, they do marriages all the time. And you look at some of these people and you say, ho, oh, this is an arranged marriage, right? Where where are you from? Where? Oh, the old Yugoslavia, huh? Oh, you're a mail-order bride, huh? Oh, okay. Goes on every day, the city clerk's office, and in San Francisco, they have the city clerk in City Hall. Except there, Mayor Willie Brown, I guess, liked looking at a lot of nude people. He's a freak. And he would come out, you know, in the middle of his duty. Oh, another nudist uh, marriage here? I'll be more than happy to officiate. And so the queen bee of this nudist hippie colony was, and still is, although she's incarcerated, for having tried to kidnap a 14-year-old boy outside of Berkeley High School. She's in the female correctional facility in the state of California, Gypsy Tau. Who, by the way, Gypsy is 11 years to Pepe Sr. She married him. She also married another 20-year-old guy and another 22-year-old guy, all of them hippies and nudists in the colony. The only non-nudist, De Pepe, who's always had his clothes on because he was a photographer. And why did he end up 
sleeping in the bus because he got into a fight with the other two guys because he was jealous that he had to share the queen bee with them. So the queen bee, Gypsy Taub, exiled him into the bus. But when you look at the bus, when you look at the house that they have the hippie nudist colony in, they have Black Lives Matter posters, they have gay liberation flags, and they have other posters of progressive uh, progressive movements. And as she said in that special jailhouse interview, you notice you haven't heard other people. Could I have that last cut of Gypsy Taub? Listen to what she says about the politics of the guy, the photographer, she married in addition to two of the other hippie nudists that she married in her commune. Together, they raised their two sons and her daughter until about seven years ago. Describing a time, De Poppy returned home after disappearing for a year. He came back in a really bad shape. He thought he was Jesus. He was constantly paranoid, thinking that people are after him. Did he have any sort of aggression towards politicians? Were his political beliefs extreme, in your opinion? When I met him, he didn't really have, uh, he was only 20 years old. He didn't have any experience in politics. He was very much in alignment with my beliefs. Uh, we, I have, I've always been very progressive, and actually I absolutely admire Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, she's a big supporter of Nancy Pelosi. It's not, I mean, we're not making this up. This, she's from Berkeley. You don't see people wearing MAGA hats walking around Berkeley. Let me tell you something. <laughs> you just don't see it. Oh, man. No, he's MAGA. He's chew. He's a Trumper. Well, maybe he dabbled, okay? We won't know. But you heard her in a jailhouse. By the way, have you heard this jailhouse interview anywhere else? Of course not. You think Frank Morano will play? Of course not. You think Dominic? No. It's the third rail. Nobody wants to deal with this because, let's face it, you say one thing the wrong way, you could be on the outside looking in and having a job where you're hanging wallpaper instead of broadcasting on the number one news talk station in the nation. I'm used to being on the, the tight wire. The high wire. I'm used to being on the third rail. I'm not a Trumper. As you know, I'm not Q. I'm not MAGA. So I can look at it independently from that. But also, I know hippies. I know anarchists, communists, socialists. And I've spent time in Berkeley, and I have guardian angels out there. Let me calm down. I'll try to bring it all back together for all of you. WABC. One of the greatest all-time bands to come out of the San Francisco Bay Area, Oaktown, Sly and the Family Stone, as I've told James Golden many times, much better than Earth, Wind, and Fire. But we are at times here at WABC as uh, Sly and the Family Stone sing a family affair, a dysfunctional family. Because we all go in different directions, but when push comes to shove, we all come together. And help the owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis and the president of Red Apple Media, Chad Lopez, maintain our status as the number one news talk station in the nation. James Golden took his approach, which was not to walk the third rail. That's his program. 
He makes his choice. Greg Kelly had a magnificent start after the police press conference on Friday. He came on right after me. I'm on Monday through Fridays, 12.15 to 1. With a rip and read and commentary, no calls at that point after Bill O'Reilly. And I was listening to Greg, and man, he was was in full stride. And then on his Newsmax show later on that night, he laid out the case of why we couldn't just accept what we were being told by the San Francisco Police Department. It's two-and-a-half-minute press conference and all-time record. But then Greg himself, and this is what happens with social networking and Twitter, Elon Musk, right? You saw him walk in with the, what is that, the the, the sink there, the, the Twitter headquarters in San Francisco. But Greg started tweeting away, and in this one tweet, he... He wrote, just wondering if Nancy Pelosi tried to stage her own mini January 6th, complete with leaving the doors and windows open for insurrectionists. And this, uh, the peppy fellow, that was she can't secure her home or office. And then all of a sudden, boom, he took down all of his tweets. See, that's why I don't like the social networking. That's why I don't like the podcasts, because it's there in perpetuity. Whenever you want to go dip your toes in the lagoon, you do it. I am old school, live and local radio, and going where nobody else goes. These two uh, straight nights, six hours, 12 midnight to six in the morning till the break of dawn, we got the highest ratings ever on the other side of midnight in the 100-year history of WABC because we became the outlet of free speech that nobody else was permitting. Not Facebook, not Instagram, not YouTube, not Twitter with Elon Musk. Nobody. WABC became the outlet for all of you to speak your mind. And all I was there is to make sure that we didn't get derailed. Coming up next, Nancy, who wants to change her name because her name is being uttered out. Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? As we discuss our animal welfare situation. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. I don't know if my wife Nancy wants a name any longer. Uh, I noticed that that's become the number one name mentioned in all uh, of the weekend broadcasts, radio, television, uh, everywhere. Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Yeah, I think uh, for the time being, I'm going to keep my name and just hope that she fades out of the the news cycle so I can go back to normal. I will uh, share with our listeners that there was a time when I first met your mother and you were there, and I was so confused. She was calling you Beth. You were calling her Nancy, and I said to you, I, I thought your name was Nancy. You said, no, that's my mother's name. Could you straighten that out for us? 
It's it's both of our names, and I definitely wouldn't call my mom Nancy. So, but her name is Nancy, and so growing up, I for some reason I guess they thought I would be confused, even though everyone calls my mom mom. But that was clearly a big issue, so they had to call me Beth, and that's the only. It's only my family who calls me that, so every other person just knows me as Nancy and. Yeah, it gets it gets confusing because they don't refer to me as Nancy. So, yeah, it's uh, it can it can be problematic. I got to tell you, sometimes I heard your brothers calling Beth, and I was wondering who they were talking to, and they were talking to you. Yeah, and it, and it's funny how you, you just switch right away. Like I never think about it; it's just automatically in my head. I respond depending upon where I am. Now that we've uh, settled that, maybe the next step we can actually find out how old you are. No, not yeah, not not happening. Wow, they say you that see that's the one thing you have in common with Frank Morano. He refuses to divulge his age. Uh, our own cousin Brucey refuses to divulge his age. So there's the three of you. You will not allow anyone to know your age. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the people who may who think it's so important that they have to know your age. That's the people you need to look out for. By the way, uh, just an advisory. Coming up uh, when Dominic uh, Carter joins us, uh, as Ricky Ricardo uh, would be told uh, uh, by others, he has a lot of explaining to do over what he had to say about cats. Uh, I don't even think he's aware of it. I will bring that to his attention, Nancy. Make sure that all the 18 of our rescue cats are at rapt attention when I'm talking to Dominic, before the top of the hour, we got to determine whether we give him forgiveness uh, or he's got to do some form of penance. Boy, you're, you're, you're not weighing in right now. I know you're still hot under the oh, collar over no, there. No, no, no. Uh, no, no. I'm thinking that, it, well, here's the thing. I, I, I assume that he didn't mean anything by it, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, you have to be mindful of what you say, especially when it involves household pets because most people consider pets their family and they're all listening right now right of course of course so i mean yeah i i I don't i don't understand you don't want to carry some of those offensive terms into the future because yeah that is that is pretty crazy to think about it um because it it summons up really intense images so ladies and gentlemen you better not switch this off you better not fall asleep i will be confronting dominic carter on this very subject before the top of the hour but speaking of the cats the 18 cats who are listening to the radio as we speak there's been a new study that says that cats can identify people's voices can you explain that and also explain how it's relative to our household Okay, so uh, this was a study directed at uh, determining whether or not cats are aware that you're speaking directly to them. So that the conclusion was that they are. So cats are able to tell the difference between a person talking to another person versus talking to them. So, uh, And then another interesting part of this study, too, was that they also know the difference between, you know, like their owner's voice as opposed to strangers. So, like, all of their senses are, like, at, you know, full full speed ahead when their owner is talking. And, when, and then when it's a stranger, it's like they're not responding at all. 
So it, you know, it goes against that, um, you know, sort of previously held belief that, oh, cats are really independent. They don't bond with people. I mean, it shows that direct connection that cats have with people, not only people, but also with the specific people that they live with. What is the hearing ability of cats, let's say, compared to uh, human beings? Well, it, it goes by decibel level, right? So it's clearly it's much more fine-tuned than our hearing. So uh, they can hear things that are uh, further away before we can. But then the decibel level thing, I mean, they can hear things that we don't even hear. So, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that's what makes them such good predators that, you know, occasionally when they find a bug, I, I, I'm pretty sure they can hear their footsteps. That's how sensitive their hearing is. I know that our patriarch, Apollo, can actually hear me coming when I'm down the block. Yes, correct. And what does he do? Describe to our listeners what, how you know Apollo has heard me coming. Well, there's uh, a couple of things like, that are right next to the door. So everyone gets very excited when you come into the house. So the jockey for a position at these two spots that are right next to the doorway. So as soon as you open the door, like you have to interact with them. So they'll all be sleeping. There's no movement. And then Apollo will wake up for no apparent reason and go to one of those two perches. And maybe like a minute later, you'll be walking in the door. So, you know, Apollo senses you coming before you're even here. So you think it's him hearing it or it's an innate uh, sense that he has? I mean, it, it could be a combination of all of the senses, right? So hearing, um, smell as well. Uh, they're very sensitive with smell. So it could be that your your sense perceives you. So now, in reference to the cats, being able to understand when you're talking to them, if they're living with you, which of the cats would you say best respond to you, like when you're talking to them, and which ones best respond when I'm talking to them? Uh, let's see. I would say for you, it, um, Athena and Ajax, they seem to respond most to you when you're talking. Uh, with me, I think mittens. Uh, you know, I can always get mittens to meow. Uh, and then, like, with the kittens, they, I would say, recognize the both of us equally. Like, they respond to anything that we do. So, so that's the yeah, you, you've been living with cats for decades, is it your understanding that since you were a little girl out in um, um, in uh, Suffolk County in mm-hmm. Bohemia that cats have been able to understand you when you're talking to them? I mean, you know, obviously, to to some degree, uh, there's. I mean, and what do you really need to say to them anyway? Right? Yeah, not having super complex conversations. I think every important piece of information is able to be conveyed. I think uh, I've noticed with our cats, too. I mean, they can notice um, expressions you have. So if you're looking at them a certain way or you're making a certain face, like, they'll know what that means. So, again, you think about the basic things. It's almost like interacting with people. How many things do you need to say to a person on a daily basis? So extrapolate that with what your cat needs to say to you and you need to say to them. And, yeah, I think they understand all of that. Love to find out from our many listeners, in fact, if they have determined that their own cats, the cat members of their family, are able to determine their voices and respond to, uh, to your voices, and in what manner. Please share that with us at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And on the matter of cats, 
this past week, one of the days was National Black Cat Day, which has extraordinarily extraordinary significance for a number of reasons. Uh, what does National Black Cat Day generally stand for, Nancy? Uh, I would say bringing awareness to the uh, inordinate uh, number of black cats that wind up in the shelter system. So it's a combination of trying to, uh, you know, let people know that there's a proliferation of them in there and then that you should go in and adopt them because they are um, more likely to wind up there. And so, therefore, it makes them really difficult to adopt. Um, Yeah, definitely an awareness campaign, I would say, more than anything else. Why uh, is there a propensity, a preponderance of black cats in the shelters? What is it that leads people to either surrender black cats or abandon black cats? Uh, Well, so, you know, there's maybe some, uh, you know, like old uh, wives' tales, they say, where, oh, black cats are bad luck, so... Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who have cats that are unfixed and they have a litter, so they might just um, keep the ones that aren't black and then uh, the other ones might go to the shelter. But uh, around this time of year, obviously, there's with uh, Halloween, you know, black cats are so part and parcel of the holiday. So you'll see a lot of advertisements and, you know, it's, it's like a public consciousness, the black cat, because I'm sure it's like, you know, it's, it's put everywhere, like television and movies. And so there's like more of an uptake in people wanting to adopt them. And then Halloween's over and they're not so interested in the black cat anymore and they bring them to the shelter. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why people might be adopting them at this time of the year. Well, we're at the halfway mark of the football season. We're just pretty much finishing up the Major League Baseball season with the World Series. And in the past, oftentimes, Somebody in the stands has released a black cat that runs across the field. And the reason they do that is based on what you were referring to going way back to the Middle Ages. It suggests bad luck for the other side. And nobody wants to sort of walk uh, across where a black cat has walked. To the point where if they see a black cat... They won't cross that path. They walk another way, the same way that people won't walk underneath a ladder. Many are suspicious of that. But I can't tell you how many people, Nancy, that I've run across, the moment a black cat might run in front of them or dart across, they will not cross over. Somehow, some way, it's been embedded into their mentality that if they do that, it's bad luck. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. That's That's true. So... I've definitely seen that myself before as well. Um, you know, there just seems to be a little bit more of the the fear of the unknown. And again, right, uh, being associated with like the holiday um, Halloween, and then also like uh, scary movies. So people think, oh, maybe they have like mystical powers, or they're going to put a curse on you. Like all of these things that really get hyped up um, in many ways, just because of these you know different movies related to the holiday. So, you know, I think there should be a lot more awareness about creating this bad image for black cats. Well, I noticed that you, when you rescue cats from the shelter, because, again, a lot of people don't understand, these are not no-kill shelters. If they are not adopted or forced out within a period of time, the New York City shelter system destroys them, kills them, euthanizes them. That I noticed that when you're going through the kill list, and you have to describe that momentarily what that is, 
that again, I see black cat after black cat after black cat, and you right away, you want to adopt them all. Yeah, um, there seems to be, again, like to your point, just a lot of uh, black cats that are on that list. Um, Rarely do you see, obviously, some of like the purebred type cats, but, you know, it's a combination of outdoor cats. Now, the list that you're talking about that I look at is it's called the kill list because these are cats that have already been uh, segmented off within the New York City shelter system. So they're not able to be publicly adopted. They're, um, for whatever reason, either it's a medical concern, oh, they're sneezing, right? You know, something, it could be as simple as anything. Um, Or, you know, in in a lot of situations, because they take cats from the outdoors, again, this is a reason why you don't want to take them from the outdoors. So they're feral cats or semi-feral cats. They're not going to do well in that environment. So right away, that oh, they're not adoptable to the public because their behavior. So... This is a list of cats that have already been put on the not-for-public adoption list. And what they're doing is they're trying to alert um, rescue groups and the few people who they approve to adopt these cats to say, hey, can you take these cats off our hands? And, of course, whatever medical issues they come with, they're not going to take care of that. So, again, you have a lot of older cats brought in. um, Obviously requires a lot of uh, medical attention. I mean, they're not doing anything. I mean, it's surprising how little they do before they do hand them off. And again, but it's just it's another layer of bureaucracy, really no reason. Um, and this is why they need to go out and, and fix the cats so they don't have to keep going through this ridiculous cycle. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. An update on the story that just keeps taking a life of its own going back to August. A woman named Jessica who had raised this Irish terrier, Moose, since he was a little puppy, would take him to walk in Prospect Park like a lot of people take their dogs, both in the mornings and in the evenings. And she was approached by an emotionally disturbed man having dreadlocks and a staff who began to attack her viciously, and Moose took his stand and would not permit it and absorbed the blows as he fought off the predator who ran away He suffered an incredible series of internal injuries and died a horrible death uh, within a week. It uh, drew massive attention because of the community park slope that surrounds that area. It couldn't get its act together to help this woman track down the predator. She was alerted recently that the predator was out there. She followed him. He turned on her. She called the police. The police did not respond. And she was almost attacked again. Thankfully, uh, she was able to survive that ordeal. And incredibly, the police department reached out to her and actually apologized and admitted that they had not responded to that call. Can you give us an update on that? Yeah, I I believe it was – I have to double-check. I believe it might have been some sort of, um, like, open community meeting, like, you know, maybe where the police precinct has something publicly. But – so, you know, uh, obviously that, that woman was there. And now this story uh, has gotten so much traction, like you said, and the people in the neighborhood are really annoyed at the response that has gone on. So I think it's the level of attention that this has um, received is really what, you know, put them in their backs to the corner. Oh, now we have to do something to rectify our image because it looks really bad, like how poorly we handled it. And again, it's like they handled it really poorly for a lot of reasons, 
But, you know, the other part of it is just this runaround that they're giving her because if you're not going to do anything, then why are you having this person constantly call you and wait 45 minutes and not be able to, you know, like, why are you delaying any assistance or why are you closing the case? So she got this, like, one of these rare apologies. But when, you know, it's, it was pressed further, like, okay, well, what is this? How are you going to handle this? No, no, look, yeah, you're right. We, we did it wrong and we're sorry. You know, going forward, we'll do it differently. It's like, they didn't give any answers still. It's just they said, oh, we're bad, <laughs> and that's it. So they're just trying to quiet down the story by issuing this really lackluster apology and not indicating what would be done differently or, oh, no, we've reopened the case, or, oh, we're going to, you know, nothing. So I think it's pretty poor, their, their apology. I think it uh, is indicative of the situation we're in the city now. The mayor's office has done nothing. The local city councilwoman there has actually told people never, ever, ever call 911, never call the police. And the police precinct itself said, yes, we did not follow up on your 911 calls. We apologize. I mean, that that tells you why we're in such a desperate strait here in the city of New York. But I want to reassure many of our callers who are from that area and our listeners who walk their dogs in Prospect Park that we're out there in the mornings. Uh, and we are hunting uh, for this individual. Uh, if we find him, we will turn him over to the police. Uh, we will make sure that he gets the mental help that he desperately needs, in addition to uh, uh, making sure that he pays uh, a price for the crime he committed in killing Moose. And we're just trying to make it a lot safer for people to go out and walk their dogs, because a lot of people have told us, Nancy, they don't feel safe. They're not going into this beautiful park any longer. What a shame. What a shame. Yeah, I mean, and certainly that's that's one of the reasons you would want to live in that neighborhood because you can go to the park. So, I mean, you take that away, you take away the biggest reason to be here. Our number is one 800 Let's go to the phones. It's Tony who's calling all the way from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC on the Animal Welfare Hour, Tony. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. And Nancy, I admire you so much, and I like you too. Thank you. <laughs> um, I really, I really love cats too, and um, I grew up with cats. And over my lifetime, I've had probably forty of them, okay. and most of them have lived into their teens, and one or two into their twenties. And you were talking about black cats, and altogether, I've had a dozen black cats. And oh, wow. uh, one time, yeah, we had six of them at once, <laughs> and. Um, you all were talking about how there's superstitions about them. Well, uh, years ago, I was a carny, and we had a booth in work fairs, and I had a fluffy, long, black cat, and um, the gypsies that worked down the midway from me absolutely hated me because I would keep him on the countertop with the leash on so he couldn't run away, and if they were walking down the midway and the cat was out, they had to turn around, go all the way back, and go behind <laughs> our trailer. <laughs> so they hated me. <laughs> yeah, but see, Tony, that plays into what I said. There are some people, they'll see a black cat in the distance or cross the path. They will not then walk over that path for some reason through superstition over the, over the uh, centuries. They've, yeah, they, they, the whole family. I mean, there was a group of them, and they refused to pass, to walk the path past the cat. 
And as, as a result of that, Tony, people have gone out of their way to poison black cats, to kill black cats, because they think that the presence of a black cat will bring bad luck to them, their family, or their business. And that we have to undo. We have to undo that myth, Tony. You, you've had how many black cats? Twelve. And they're amazing, right? I loved each and every one of them. They had so much personality. So much personality. The the black cat I was telling you about, he was sitting on the counter at a fair one time, and back then they had steak on a stick. I don't know if they still do or not. But he calmly reached over and he hooked one of the man's pieces of steak and pulled it right off the stick and started to eat it. And <laughs> the guy, I was so humiliated, but he got a kick out of it. And he also liked to ride in cars. So he would ride on my dashboard, and this is back when they had full service. And after the uh, gas jockey pumped my gas and he came to get the money, the cat moved, and he jumped 10 feet in the air because he thought it was a stuffed cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing, amazing. And uh, where in Florida do you live, Tony? I live in north-central Florida, about 50 miles from um, Disney as the crow flies. And uh, are you originally a Floridian? No, I'm from Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. Wow. And how long have you been down in Florida? Uh, 40 years. It'll be 41 in April. Do you see a lot of folks coming down your way from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania? Yeah, I used to work uh, at a national uh, recreational area called Alexander Springs down the road from me, and I worked there for several years, and those are the main states that come down here. And there's a lot more going to be coming down, Tony, a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's what I've been hearing. And the roads, oh, my God, there's so much traffic than there used to be just a few years ago. Tony, it's everybody from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut fleeing this area. I mean, fleeing in droves, and they want, they're like obsessed. They got to move to Florida. They just heard the hurricane hit southwest Florida, Lee County, Fort Myers. Doesn't matter. They're saying, maybe we'll get a better deal on property down there now. (laughs) Yeah, well, they're all welcome as long as they're Republicans. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, do appreciate that, Tony. By the way, little update, Nancy, on the condition uh, in those areas that were clobbered by the Hurricane Ian. Our guardian angels are down there, and one of the things they're doing in terms of doing the wellness checks on people who are stuck in their homes, a lot of seniors, is the pets who many of them were abandoned when people fled, and they've had to somehow try to fend for themselves. And these are not outdoor animals. These are not like you described feral cats or dogs that were raised outside. They are domestic. They grew up in the homes, and they are finding it very difficult to survive. So um, our men and women of the Guardian Angels, they have been retrieving them and bringing them to rescue operations so that they can find them a home of their own because they're not meant to survive out in the streets and in the woods uh, and in the swamp areas. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the ones that are outside now, I would imagine, are you know previously domesticated, so they're not accustomed to being outside. And then also, any possible food sources are probably not available. So it's you know it's a really dire time right now. I mean, time is of the essence, obviously.
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Animal Welfare Edition uh, featuring uh, Nancy Sliwa, animal rescuer. She runs the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division. Let's go to Keith in the Upper West Side. Your turn to be heard at WABC, Keith. Hey, thanks, Curtis. Thanks, Nancy. I didn't really expect to to get through. Um, um, Real quickly, uh, I, I wanted to say something about communicating with cats, but um, uh, before I do that, um, I just came back from feeding six of my 13 spay-neuter colonies in Harlem and Washington Heights, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but the reason I mention that is, um, and I really admire what Nancy does, and I know other people that pull cats from kill shelters, but, and I think you know this, the, the biggest problem in New York City and most everywhere else are the tens of thousands in the five boroughs, if not hundreds of thousands of homeless cats, whether they're feral, dumped, or lost. So so the best thing that people can do is take the quick course, trap the cats, get them spayed-neutered. I maintain my spay-neuter colonies, and I put out as many winter shelters as I can. And um, what I wanted to – and then – but the winter's cold, Probably, I would guess, 50, 60, 70 percent of the cats that have no food, regular food source. What I wanted to say about communication is I've found through these 25 years that uh, oral, A-U-R-A-L, communication with cats is number one thing. So when I go to all my colonies, if it's wintertime and they're in their shelters, I go, kitty, 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 kitty. Very high-pitched, two-syllable, two kitty works perfect. And that way they know I'm there. They can run out, get fed, and go back into their shelter. Now, when I rescue the occasional uh, feral cat or semi-feral cat because they lost their siblings and they won't survive alone because when they're in the winter shelters together, their body heat, you know, uh, you know, warms the shelter, but if they're alone, it's it's sometimes not enough. So when I rescue one and they freak out being brought inside, hearing my, my voice for 10 years, kitty, 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 as soon as she's inside or he's inside, you know, hearing that, that familiar uh, sound puts them right, well, not completely at ease but but uh so uh oral uh, you know curtis i'm like you when i come out they, the pigeons see my gray hair they flock down to me because i feed them but cats you know there's a lot of good reasons to be oral with them uh they're not as vi- visually oriented when it comes to uh outdoor cats and that's the biggest problem we've got hundreds of thousands tens of thousands of uh, outdoor cats that are just suffering and huddling, and, and we need to spay-neuter them. Well, uh, I, I want to applaud you, Keith, and the many who listen to the show every Sunday from 11 to 12 because uh, I've seen the work uh, through my wife, Nancy, and all of her friends and fellow rescuers. Uh, it goes unrewarded, unrecognized. It's little, if any, attention, and we've got to change that because... Um, I think, Nancy, especially through the lockdown and pandemic, uh, all those uh, operations, the spading, neutering, uh, almost 
came to a close, almost a complete shutdown. And so the populations of these feral cats have grown measurably. Yeah, it, for for a time it was um, that all the cats coming from the shelter they weren't have where they weren't having that surgery, so that cre- that creates a problem, um, and also um, you know sort of uh, to that point of having so many cats outside, it's true. I mean, you really have to get to the heart of that level of the population because that I mean that's really what accounts for the issue. They um, you know they procreate so quickly that the amounts that exist outside and also like, you know, the winter, um, you know, like culling them and also kitten mortality rate. There's so many more that are dying um, needlessly because this isn't being addressed. And certainly one of the problems that I've found is that, you know, so we, this is something that really should, um, you know, be brought under some umbrella where there's a level of protection for these cats, because the problem is almost everywhere they go, they're trespassers. So when you're feeding a colony of them, Depending upon where they're located, it might be that you have uh, the specific okay from a property owner, but a lot of times it'll be something that's like quasi-governmental, community, city-owned. You know, hopefully you have a good relationship, someone's letting you do it, or they're okay with a program. But, you know, because you don't own the land most of these cats are living on, all that has to happen, and this happens a lot, unfortunately, a new owner buys the place or someone just changes their mind. Oh, I don't want you coming here anymore. So you have someone who did the responsible thing, and now there's no uh, formal legal mechanism to protect these cats. So even um, appealing to the city, oh, well, we can't protect them. So, you know, you really have to protect this concept of the colony cats because that's what keeps the populations in check and will maintain the existing outdoor population at, um, you know, numbers that can be taken care of while also making sure that they're not creating more kittens and they're getting their shots and you know, there's a ways to sort of keep tabs on them. This is the only way it works in conjunction, right? The people doing it, which a lot of them are doing it, which is awesome. But the city's dropping the ball on giving any protections to them. So that's really important to happen. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Let's go to Laura in Queens. Your turn to be heard at WABC, Laura. Thank you. You guys rock. You're amazing. Both you, Kurt and Nancy. My gosh. But that's very true what Keith was saying. The TNR is so important, and as you've, you've mentioned as well. But it's, it's, it's very true. These cats are just chattels. They don't have protection. That's so true, Nancy. It's, it's heartbreaking. But did you ever hear of a gentleman by the name of Rupert Sheldrake? He's a scientist. He's across the pond. And he talks about the concept of morphic resonance where nature has a memory, it's sort of the way I suppose all animals communicate. And, and they do know us. It's very amazing. Even the outdoor cats, it's, it's quite spectacular. But, um, yeah, and poor black cats. I have a number of black cats in a small colony that I, that I feed here, and they're beautiful. They're just so beautiful. But, you know, I give you so much credit, Nancy especially, and you too, Curtis. You have to have – courage to be able to go into the beast into the belly of the beast to be able to really help these poor animals and to go in and check the e-lists you know at these shelters um we do the best we can with um feeding them but making sure that they are tnr'd that they are you know neutered and spayed but um and feeders are breeders unfortunately but unless people know about tnr and if they do know about does the aspc still have the buses the 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 vans that come you know what they they um they definitely uh do 
But I believe yeah. uh, the schedule they have now is um, quite a bit less than it was before. But, you know, so there was obviously there was a hiatus during COVID, which was completely horrible because, I mean, the population just exploded and they weren't having the public adoptions in like the city shelters. And then they're also telling people, oh, you can't bring um, any of your pets here to uh, surrender them because of COVID. Well, you know, I mean, unfortunately, that, that doesn't really stop people from uh, putting the animals out of their house just because the shelter's not going to take them. So I'm sure a lot of animals just got put outdoors because people couldn't afford them anymore. So, I mean, that was really a, a ridiculous idea. Oh, we're going to close the doors to accepting these animals, and you know where they're going to wind up. So, I mean, that was, that was completely ridiculous. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. Back to the busy phones we go. It is uh, Gail, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Gail. Hi, good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Just something quick. Uh, cats are very perceptive to the human as in the guide dogs, they can um, sense maybe if something medically uh, wrong is coming up with their owner or, you know, the person that takes care of them. They have a very so- strong uh, sensory, uh, you know, and I believe that with dogs, too. And I've seen uh the dog run to the door 20 minutes before my family comes home. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something else as far as your name. Nancy, in the words that Frank Sinatra sang, he didn't write it. No angel could replace my Nancy with the laughing face. <laughs> well, that's really nice. Yeah, yeah I don't think uh, Nancy will be changing her name to Beth because of what's happened in the compound of the Pelosi's, where supposedly this guy will be arraigned in a few hours, was screaming, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Anyway, let's go to Liam, who's calling from Irvington, New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Liam. On a subject of black cats and superstition, some years back I was doing some research in Wales and uh, staying with a Welsh family in the country there. And we're walking, and as we're walking along, a black cat crossed our path. And I said, turned to him and I said, hey, you probably have the same superstition we have in the States about black cats. He says, of course, they're very lucky. I said, <laughs> explain this. So what it comes down to, because I mean, Mark Twain talks about Black cats and superstition, you know, and so it's Tom Sawyer. So anyway, <clears throat> what it comes down to, it's a matter of cultural genocide on the part of the English. Because a lot of things which are popular, common in Wales, they want to have portrayed to the rest of the world as bad. And it turns out the superstition of black cats is exactly the opposite. And you know, once you go into England, black cats are bad luck. But in Wales, they've always been good luck. Now, just to underline that, and another example of that, I saw a picture of a bunch of girls 
who looked like they were trying out as extras for the Wicked Witch of the West in that movie, you know, <laughs> the Rainbow yeah. or whatever it was. And they're all wearing the capes and the conical hats. And I said, what's going on? Oh, those are nursing sisters graduating. That's what they call nurses, nursing sisters. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, and it's, but what are they wearing? Oh, that's the, that's the traditional dress for women in Wales, the old traditional dress. And that's what they wear, in, you know, the full dress thing for nursing sisters. So it's... Oh, that's, in, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I did not expect that. I really didn't. And uh, it was just uh, an amazing thing. You take something that everybody in a certain area says is good and convince other people that it's bad, then obviously there's something wrong with those people in that area who say it's good. Wow. <laughs> I would you know? never, never have thought. Now, were you near Cardiff? Uh, at one point I was, yeah, but I was in like... Near Lauren on the south coast of Wales, okay. southwest coast. All right, so you were basically out in the rural area. Yeah, I was in a rural area, and I was uh, <clears throat> doing research on the resurgence of nationalism in the Celtic countries. And, you know, I was in Scotland, I was in Ireland, you know, uh, and so forth, in Cornwall. But I was in Wales, and I, I met the head of the Welsh National Party, and he sent me to stay with this one family down near Lauren. They spell Lauren totally differently from the way it's spelled in Ireland. And, but it was uh, really, uh, you know, but the people I was with were very educated people. And uh, but the guy's wife was even a wonderful harpist. But uh, it was, I, I found it totally, I did not expect that. Yeah, no, no, uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. That's I would have thought that they perpetuated the uh, myth in uh, Wales and Scotland and those other places because uh, that's the tradition that was brought over. Remember when I first introduced you to my mother, Francesca, Nancy, how she was frightened of cats because that's the way they had been taught in Europe to fear cats, especially black cats. So she was very respectful uh, of you, but she just could not get over the way she had been brought up uh, so many years before about cats, uh, particularly black cats, bringing bad luck uh, to the house. Yeah, and, you know, and unfortunately, when you're dealing with any sort of exposure to animals, uh, you, you should really have that at a young age because the older you get, you know, now it, it becomes a bigger hurdle to try and sort of like get over that fear. And you, again, you can understand it. I mean, because they have reactions and they respond to you in certain ways. You know, but you can't communicate with them verbally. So if you don't have experience with dealing with the the visual cues, that's like how to how to interact with them. You know, they can seem dangerous to you. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know why they're jumping here or moving there. Why are they walking so close to me? Like. You're not used to reading their body signals, so everything they do becomes fearful. So I think it just gets accentuated. So, yeah, that's why I think, you know, all young kids, I mean, they should have programs in schools where, you know, kids, uh, elementary school kids, I know they have somewhere they're brought to the shelters and they'll uh, read books to the pets through the cages. So this way they're helping to socialize and then also getting familiar with animals as well if they might not have pets at home. So, 
you know, there's a lot of ways that, you know, even if you don't have a pet at home, you can have direct exposure to animals. Hey, no, she had a visceral fear of cats, even though my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, and grandmother, Nicoletta Bianchino, had the dog in the yard, German, that was the name of the dog, in the doghouse, but he roamed the grounds, and they had the cats in the basement because that was the best way to suppress mice, rodents, and rats. And yet she was taught, especially black cats, you know, would be feared, would bring bad luck, and it's almost like like a spell at this time of year with Halloween, you know, like as if there was witchcraft, as if the maluk here, the evil eye, would be cast upon you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And when you have cats who their job is to, to be mousers, which is what those cats were, you know, they're not the, the visual you have in your head, like, oh, they're sitting on your lap, you're petting them, you're playing with them. It's like, like they have a job to do, and that's it. So if those are the only cats you're exposed to when you're young, you might not really get the nuances of their personalities. Now, uh, if anybody wants to continue the conversation with you on these animal welfare issues, uh, how can they reach out to you, Nancy? Uh, well, you can reach out to um, you know guardianangels.org, org, the website. Um, and if you want to email me directly, um, it's nancy at guardianangels.org. And when you go to uh, guardianangels.org, you'll see the tab, the Guardian Angel Animal uh, Protection Division. Just hit that tab, and you'll see all the great work that Nancy and other volunteers do who go out there and rescue animals and make sure that they end up with a home of their own, like so many other rescue groups do all over this world. Up next, Nancy, payback time to Dominic Carter. He doesn't know what's coming his way. In the future, maybe he'll learn to monitor what words drip from his lips. <laughs> WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Carter's new theme song. Uh-oh. But remember, I had given you the Mac yes, Daddy yes, theme yes, song. Yes, We need to revive that next but wait, week. But, but the best part is coming. That's right. They, they, this is where all the kids made their rap uh, songs to. When That's goes, right. Dun, 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 Here it comes. Can you uh, translate what he's saying there? Absolutely not. What What is he saying? I have no freaking idea. All I know is the beat was good, and this became the number one dance song for a while in the clubs. Imagine seeing white boys on the dance floor. 
<laughs> Getting off all, on this. All, all the young rappers before they became stars. Yes. This is the song that the DJ would mix to. That's right. And you would rap Cole style to this song. That's right, T. That's Bronx style. See, Dominic knows because Dominic came out of the uh, Patterson Projects. No relationship to my husband-in-law, David Patterson. Wait, wait. What is a husband-in-law? I don't know. You have to ask John Katsimatidis. He's labeled David Patterson my husband-in-law because... When oh, he was never, at uh, never mind. Well, he was at AM 970, the answer. We did afternoons together. That's four years I'll never get back in my life. And uh, one day, uh, my wife at that time showed up, and I did a Henny Youngman. I said, take my wife. And he did. And he ended up marrying Mary. And he is my husband-in-law because of that and his stepfather to Anthony. You didn't know that? What, what am I supposed to say to that? Well, that's... You're, you're referring to Governor Patterson? Of course. Okay. What am I supposed to but say? But it's uh, John Katsimatidis who has labeled him my husband-in-law. Hey, but you guys get along great. Yes. Oh, thank God he came along. He's actually been a great stepfather to Anthony. So he gets uh, the Democratic point of view and the Republican point of view. Uh, in fact, uh, Anthony told me the other day he's voting for Hochul. And I said, why are you voting for Hochul? He said, because Governor Patterson convinced me of that. I said, well, let's sit down and have a little discussion about Lee Zeldin here. So by the time I finished with him, he said, you're right, Dad. I'm going to vote for Zeldin. Then he comes back the next week. He says, I've changed my mind again. I'm voting for Hochul. Mm. I said, what happened during the week? He said, Governor Patterson sat me down and had a long conversation with me. And, And this is his first time voting? Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. 18, he can't wait to vote, but I've got one more shot to convince him with eight days to go to the midterms Yes, for Zeldin. But before we discuss what you'll be discussing in the next hour, we have some business, unattended business that we have to uh, deal with because I must tell you when you were saying this, there were 18 of our family members in the Sliwa household who were listening to you and boy, did they sour on you. There's more than one way to skin a cat. That's your voice, correct? Uh, yes. You do realize that there was Tuna, the oldest of our rescue cats, and the youngest three kittens were listening at that point. And mm. it's almost like Nancy said as she was looking into the radio, you know how people talk to their radio? Yes, yes. Say it ain't so, Dominic. Say it ain't so. Hey, but I got a question for Nancy. I really do. And what I'm trying to understand, with my dog gone, yes. you know, he's deceased. Yes. The cat is doing things that the dog used to do. So the cat comes up. Before the cat would have an attitude like, leave me, be gone. Now the cat comes and sits on my chest. I have to put a sweatshirt on because of his nails. But, like, he's like my best buddy. Now, the name of your cat is? Beyonce. Don't give me a hard time. I want you to play this cut for Beyonce. I'm going to give you this on a CD to bring home to Pomona, where even the lawn jockeys are white, and play this for Beyonce. Beyonce. There's more than one way to skin a cat. (laughs) And then Beyonce will take those... Those uh, nails of hers and right. dig them in. His, his, his. By the way, you named. Right. It's a long story. It's a long story. 
Is long your, story. Is your cat non-binary, uh, uh, transgender? <laughs> no, it's a long story. By the way, when your cat rests on your, your chest, that's good. It brings your blood pressure down naturally. Really? The cats do that for me. And so I, I need Nancy to also explain to me, is there a simple way to find out if the cat is a boy or a girl? Yes. And what, what way is that? You have to touch down there. Ill. Ill. It's not a reflection on your sexuality. <laughs> it's a boy. And, and, and you'll feel male organs? You'll, you'll certainly. I mean, if, but then again, maybe it's in transition. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You named a, a male cat Beyonce. You confused the hell out of that cat. Imagine that cat. I'm a male cat here. You know, I'm like uh, the, the Tom. Remember the cartoon Tom the cat? And all of a sudden it finds out its name is Beyonce. Right. Oh, my God. And th- and that's the name he, he responds to, Beyonce. I, I understand, but you do realize you've given that cat a complex. But it's too late to change his name now. He's, he's, like, he's like 10 years old. Poor cat's going to be neurotic. <laughs> Not not be able to identify itself properly, gender-wise, and will be in perpetual transition. It'll be in a non-binary state. So wait, so when I made the little comment about cats, that didn't go over well in your household? No. Tuna, the oldest, was crying, and the three, the four kitties were actually like, oh, my God. Why did he say what he said? And Nancy tried to counsel him, because they do hear. You, we just spent time discussing how... Cats listen to people, and in some cases, they understand what the people are saying. Can I hear that again? There's more than one way to skin a cat. They certainly knew what that meant. Okay, so maybe there's more than one way to, to skin, what, skin an apple. What's that saying? Uh, what does that mean, though? There's more than one way to skin a cat. What does that mean? That there's a, they, they can be, okay, maybe it wasn't the most articulate thing in the world, but, but, but. Meaning that there's more more than one way to achieve one's goal. Right, Why are you looking at me like that? And don't give me another song, because for years, everywhere I've gone in the city of New York, uh, people have have uh, uh, come up to me and start singing Return of the Man. That's right. Or is it Man or Mac? Mac. Return, Return of, of the, the Mac. Mac. And that's because of you. I gave you that. I shared that with you, and I gave that to you as your song, your theme song. And you know worked. what it is? To, to walk around the courthouses in, in lower Manhattan, have feds, state agents, and they walk up to you and start dancing, singing the song? Yeah, Return of the Mac. Mm-hmm. It, it, oh, it was classic, man. And, and what's up with your boy uh, Bobby Menendez? Bobby Menendez, who in the time he was on trial the first time in Newark Federal Court, all different corruption charges, there would be a massive gathering of reporters outside, and he would actually say, hold up. Guys and gals, where's Dominic? He would actually wait for you to get there before he would start his press conference because you were good luck for him. You were in the court. You heard all the testimony. You did your reports. Now he's going to be indicted for a second time. Good luck this time around, Senator. You won't be there? Nope. Wait a second. (laughs) You were his very dear friend. He he made such positive references to you. You're going to drop him like a bad habit? I don't know. The second time around, the feds are coming with, it appears the feds are coming with more charges. I don't know. Thank God. Thank God they are. I can't wait to see this guy in camp fed. But anyway.
Wait, I got a question for you. Yes. Will Cuomo ever be governor of New York again? Never, ever in our lifetimes. Maybe in the future, uh, in some futuristic society that Elon Musk has created in some uh, distant planet. Maybe he'll be governor in Mars, but never, ever, ever here. And by, by the way, you're over on the point spread. You're very good at this. Now that we're eight days away, will it be Hochul or will it be Zeldin? You're going to say my answer is in the middle of both. But, but I've got to be honest with you. Yes. They, they, the word is that uh, the Democratic base is not enthusiastic. If that's accurate, Hochul's done. I think she's going to win by maybe 2 3 4%. But as I was just saying to Frank Morano, there's a strong possibility that Lee Zeldin will win this thing. We are so sure of ourselves downstate. We think the whole world operates by what we do in New York City. I say it will be determined in Erie County. Remember when Pataki upset Mario Cuomo, Mario lost Erie County by 5%. They were shocked. In fact, what did Andrew do when he ran? He invested a billion dollars into no-show businesses in order to guarantee that he would win Erie County. I think, as goes Erie County, we'll go New York State because that's 15% of the vote. But, but that's her backyard. And she's been the sugar mama. She has delivered the sugar with the Buffalo Bills Stadium, other tchotchkes. I mean, you look at Amherst, Lockport, Cheektawaga, Tonawanda. They love it there.